Hello, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining us for today's event. Hello, everyone, and um, thanks for joining us for the official launch uh, event of Longevity International. And uh, this is a first of a kind open access, non-profit, decentralized uh, longevity industry knowledge and collaboration platform. And it's been established and supported um, by an international network of uh, institutional co-founding partners. Now, my name is Ian Inkster, and I'm the project coordinator for Longevity International. And I'll be co-hosting today alongside uh, Franco Cortis, who's the director of Aging Analytics Agency. Thank you so much, Ian, uh, and welcome everybody. Thank you for joining. Uh, as Ian mentioned, my name is Franco Cortez, and I am the director of Aging Analytics Agency, uh, which is one of Longevity International's institutional co-founders, and I'm delighted to be with you today. Uh, today, we'll be hearing from a number uh, of other institutional co-founders of Longevity International, who will be uh, sharing some insights in terms of their most recent activities and uh, plans for the coming year. Uh, as well as why they they've decided to support the launch of uh, Longevity International in particular. Uh, following that, if uh, there's still time, uh, because we managed to bring together a larger number of speakers than we originally intended, we'll bring everybody together uh, to participate in a joint panel discussion, delve into some of the uh, themes of today's talks in a deeper manner. Uh, first up, we'll be hearing from uh, Longevity International's project coordinator, uh, Ian Inkster, will deliver an overview uh, of the project's mission, motivation, core values, and overall scope and functionality. Uh, yes, and uh, following my talk, Franco will uh, give a brief overview of um, one of Longevity International's central components, which is the uh, Longevity Biomarkers Ecosystem uh, Analytical Report and um, IT Platform, which was developed and do donated uh, by uh, Aging Analytics Agency. Following that, uh, we'll be hearing from Robert Young, uh, Director of the Gerontology Research Group's Supercentenarian Research and Database Division, uh, who will give a talk on the GRG's latest supercentenarian work, uh, touching upon uh, the Supercentenarian's Landscape Overview Report and Special Analytical Case Study, uh, which was jointly produced by the GRG, an aging analytics agency, uh, and donated as a platform component to Longevity International. Um, yes, and um, after Robert, we'll hear from uh, Ilya Stambler um, on behalf of the in, um, International Longevity Alliance, who will be, will give an overview of the Alliance's uh, recent activities and plans for the coming year. Following um, that, we'll be hearing from Drs. Uh, Milan Muto and Alexander Morsberg, uh, the respective President and Treasurer of the Cambridge University Longevity Society, who will share their plans for the coming year uh, and a bit of insight into why their society decided to join uh, as an institutional co-founder of Longevity International and how they plan to contribute to the platform uh, in the coming months. Followed by Johnny Adams, CEO of Aging Intervention Foundation, who will give a talk on the foundation's activities uh, and their aging metrics project in particular. Um. Yeah, and then uh, we'll be joined by um, Leila Valias. Um, have I said have I said this correctly? Um, 
the co-founder of Hype50, who will give some insights into the uh, Brazilian uh, longevity eco, uh, industry ecosystem. Um, after Layla, we'll hear from uh, Thomas, um, big fan, is it Thomas Sao, uh, is it? Thomas Seal. Seal. Uh, and Adrian Berg on, on behalf of the Catalis Institute. Um, they'll lay out uh, some of the Institute's purpose and uh, major goals and their agenda for 2021 and 2022. And following Thomas and Adrian, uh, we'll hear from Dr. Alexander Fleming, Executive Chairman uh, of the Catalis Institute, uh, who will outline um, a rather new initiative uh, of the Catalis Institute, which presents uh, 12 key challenges for translating longevity science into real-world public health dividends. Uh, as far as I know, they uh, just announced this yesterday, so it's, it's quite new. Uh, and following uh, Dr. Fleming, uh, we will be joined by Jose Cordero uh, on behalf of the World Future Society and the Millennium Project, uh, who will deliver some insights into the present state and future of the Latin American longevity industry ecosystem. Um, yes, and uh, after that, we'll be joined by uh, Yosef Huntington, who's the uh, co-president of uh, Oxford University Longevity Society. Um, and uh, he will outline the society's mission and goals for the coming year and, and um, offer some brief insights into the, their motivation for joining as a Longevity International um, co-founding uh, institutional partner. Um, then we'll hear from Chris uh, Linnell, president of the Canadian Longevity Society on their scope of activities and the agenda again for 2021-2022. And last but not least, our final speaker will be Dmitry Kaminsky, general partner of Deep Knowledge Group, who will share some insights into a specific Longevity International component, uh, the global uh, longevity ecosystem, uh, with a predominant focus on modern technological approaches to accelerate and democratize global longevity industry collaboration. And following everyone's talks, depending on whether we run short on time, because given the high volume of speakers we've actually secured uh, for today's launch. So we'll, we'll come together for a panel discussion um, centered around the, the present state and future of um, global longevity um, collaboration and cooperation. Um, I'd also like to encourage everyone to visit us at www.longevity.international and click the subscribe uh, button at the, at the bottom of the homepage to stay tuned to future events and announcements and uh, project releases. And the login button at the top right corner of the homepage to create a free uh, platform profile to take full advantage of its uh, resources and collaborative tools and uh, networking components. Uh, without further ado, uh, I'd like to pass the floor over to my co-host and our first speaker, Ian Inkter, Project Coordinator for Longevity International. Uh, Ian, the floor is yours. Thank you. <clears throat> so, um, my name's uh, Ian Inkster, as you know, and um, in the slides that follow, I'm going to be giving you a brief overview of um, the central purpose, mission, and scope and functionality of Longevity International, and uh, also an idea of um, the ways we intend to develop it um, in the coming year. 
So Longevity International, uh, as I say, it's a first of its kind, uh, open access, non-profit, decentralized um, industry knowledge and collaboration platform, which um, aims to promote a greater degree of uh, synergy, cooperation, discussion uh, among a variety of uh, longevity industry participants and stakeholders. So companies, investors, nonprofits, academics, academic labs, uh, research and development hubs, government bodies, policymakers. And it uh, aims to serve as uh, both a source of expertly curated uh, knowledge and tools uh, analytical tool sets and uh, as an environment for facilitating um, discussion, debate, networking, collaboration, uh, again, among industry participants and stakeholders. So um, it's a non-profit um, supported by a large number of non-profits and non-commercial uh, longevity focused um, co-founders. Um, but we also welcome any uh, any other nonprofits seeking to um, any any nonprofit seeking to transform the problem of global aging into the opportunity of uh, global healthy longevity. We welcome them to join us as uh, institutional partners. Um, we'd also welcome any relevant commercial organisations to join us as sponsors. Now, there is a great unmet need that this project and this platform will seek to fill. Now, I've personally been involved in the longevity industry in various capacities since 2009. And since then, we've seen the industry grow by leaps and bounds. So we've seen it evolve from a scientific backwater into a global phenomenon being embraced and uh, adopted by the even by the mainly conservative scientific community. Um, but not just that, also major investors, the financial industry, uh, in some respects, the broader healthcare community, and also um, some progressive governments. So the UK stands out in this regard, for example, with their industrial strategy which uh, includes the explicit aim of adding five uh, extra healthy years of healthy life expectancy to the population, to the British population by 2035. Um, so we've seen the industry itself grow exponentially and uh, consequently there's this great unmet need, which is um, there's no longer any consensus uh, about um, priorities and where resources should be allocated. So as the industry grows, so has the diversity of opinions in terms of where things should be heading. So one current limiting factor uh, as the industry grows is that sectors don't know enough about what each other are doing. So we can see sectors being siloed and segregated away from each other. Uh, sometimes they start off working in the same direction, but they, they don't have enough knowledge of each other's jargon and terminology and um, they cannot coordinate. So they eventually end up working in opposite directions, which is a shame because the industry has uh, humanitarian and socioeconomic potential like no other. 
um, and the health and wealth of entire nations and economies hang in the balance. So um, it's an industry where a greater degree of coordination and harmonization could bring forward the delivery of additional healthy life expectancy to humanity. Um, and also it's an industry that faces the risk of booming, busting, and then bottoming out if uh, that's not delivered. <clears throat> so it's with this idea in mind, um, this idea of doing something to address the, the challenge, this challenge that um, Longevity International was initiated. Um, it provides a platform and an ecosystem where industry players, as I say, scientists, entrepreneurs, investors, policymakers, uh, they can get a solid grip on the current status of the industry and where it's heading. And it's a place where they can network, collaborate and synergize their efforts more effectively. Now, the platform comes um, with a number of ready to use components uh, right with its phase one launch. Um, uh, and uh, with a variety of uh, further components planned uh, for the rest of this year leading into 2022. <clears throat> And we see one such component here. This is the Longevity ecosystem, which is an open source database of 20,000 companies. Um, now, these phase one components um, include the longevity, uh, the global longevity ecosystem. That's the 20,000 companies, but also that's um, 9,500 investors. Uh, 18,000 personalities and thought leaders, um, that's several thousand research and development hubs and academic labs, and this is data developed and donated on behalf of uh, Aging Analytics Agency. And the database also contains a great many interactive mind maps showing um, the sector and regional categorization and, and distribution. Uh, as well as um, uh, distributed knowledge infrastructures, which will allow companies, investors, nonprofits, uh, labs, and personalities to uh, request, um, basically, uh, request um, to claim their profiles as their own so they can maintain and update them and allow platform users to suggest new en entities uh, for inclusion. So that's an important uh, interactive element. <clears throat> um, now, the, the global longevity ecosystem, it actually contains a number of advanced search capabilities. So it'll, it will allow users to perform targeted uh, keyword-based searches and uh, filter-based searches uh, in order to uh, hone in on entities that match um, uh, only one uh, set of criteria. So we have a number of uh, possible filters here. As you can see, we've got we could filter by total funding amount, funding status, country. Um, but we plan to greatly expand the range of uh, filters in uh, uh, the next phases. Um, and we have here a video demonstrating the ecosystem in action. 
Um, so as you can see, we've got the 20, uh, 20 almost 23,000 companies. The uh, research and development, the 10,000 investors and uh, 18,000 personalities. And of course, we have dozens of interactive mind maps as well. This is one of our smaller ones. And they show um, sector categorization, regional distribution, uh, investor company relations. And of course, in a moment, we're going to see the advanced search capabilities. Yeah, so uh, the panel on the right will show us the filters. And as I say, there's going to be many more filters where this uh, comes from. These are limited to the phase one. Um, moving on. So yes, another uh, ready to use component of the platform is the rising wave of human uh, biomarkers of longevity landscape overview 2021. That's an open access analytical case study and interactive IT platform uh, with data provided um, again by Aging Analytics Agency. Um, now, Aging Analytics Agency's director, Franco Cortis, he'll be speaking about this component in greater detail after me. But in brief, the report and IT platform it uses uh, analytical frameworks to rank and benchmark existing panels of biomarkers for aging. Um, aging, health, and longevity, and it um, will benchmark and rank them according to uh, accuracy versus uh, actionability and uh, identifying the panels of biomarkers that can have the greatest impact on increasing uh, healthy longevity in the next few years. That's individual and national healthy longevity. And this is for use by a wide variety of decision makers, including companies, investors, governments, insurance companies. Now, this video here shows uh, an interactive, the, the interactive uh, uh, analytical report, an IT platform providing uh, the overview of the global biomarkers of aging and longevity landscape. And as I say, it ranks and benchmarks the biomarkers um, uh, by uh, accuracy and actionability. And of course, biomark longevity biomarkers are going to be a, a crucial component of the longevity ecosystem because it's going to be necessary to distinguish the hype from the, rea the reality and provide a framework for um, evaluating opportunities in the industry. Sorry, I'm just trying to move, move my slide on. 
my, my slides are here we go. Okay, yes, and now um, this is another ready to use platform here. Uh, it's um, a platform resource of a joint analytical report um, by the Gerontology Research Group um, and uh, Aging Analytics Agency. Um, it profiles the top longest lived and most socially and professionally active super centenarians, providing a number of insights into what can be learned about them for the purpose of our own longevity. Um, and we'll be hearing more on this today from Robert Young, who, as I've said, leads the, the group's research and uh, research database division. Uh, the platform also has interactive databases on upcoming longevity events and conferences, and uh, it has books and other resources. Um, besides the information resources, the platform also contains a, a number of peer-to-peer -peer networking tools and to facilitate a greater degree of co cooperation among uh, industry participants and stakeholders. And this includes a dedicated Slack environment uh, with a number of pre-made channels where platform users can discuss, chat, network, um, as well as an online video teleconferencing room where users can meet face-to-face. -face. Um, and that will soon be broad broadened to include a number of topic-based and uh, thematic rooms um, uh, to facilitate topically focused discussions and networking opportunities. So over the, the course of the coming months, we're going to be uh, working to develop and launch several other features um, so there's going to be an AI-based uh, industry participant smart matching, uh, smart matching tools to identify potential strategic partners and collaborators and um, to make it easier for industry players to forge collaborative relationships. Then there's going to be a, a crowdfunding ecosystem for nonprofit projects. Uh, there's going to be um, personal interviews with longevity influencers and thought leaders, um, video interviews. Uh, then there's going to be a, a curated news feed um, organized according to uh, a variety of topics. Then there's going to be an open longevity webinar and virtual events ecosystem where institutional participants in the platform can host longevity themed events. So as I say, please ensure to register the free account uh, on the platform at longevity.international um, to begin using it and to stay tuned for uh, further updates and news about components over the course of the coming months. And if you happen to be involved in uh, longevity-focused uh, non-profits or non-commercial uh, entities that may wish to join the platform and contribute to its various resources, or, com or a commercial entity interested in sponsoring the platform to help us roll out some of the more technologically sophisticated components as part of the, the phase two expansion, then you're encouraged to get in touch with us. Um, but for now, thanks for your time. Welcome our next uh, presenters uh, to the floor. Uh, Drs. Milan Muto and Alexander Mortberg. Uh, again, the respective president and treasurer of the Cambridge University Longevity Society. Thanks so much for joining us. Very happy to have you here. Um, the floor is yours. 
Sure. Um, hello, everyone. I'm Milan Musho. As uh, Franco already said, I am actually a researcher, a postdoc here at the Institute of Metabolic Science. Uh, but today I'm going to represent, along with uh, Dr. Alex Marsburg, the Cambridge University Longevity Society. I actually was funded in 2017 by Alan Agbev, but then um, kind of died down for a long time, especially along the lockdown. And me and Alex and another PhD student, um, uh, we tried to resuscitate this group and we started organizing um, some journal clubs, mainly bringing um, uh, different scientists um, together. But again, the interest was very um, narrow. So basically, um, at this point, we're trying to bring the society um, at a bigger scale, trying to recruit again. And I'll just give you a brief overview of the Cambridge environment. And Alex will tell you a bit more what we're planning to do along with Longevity International, who we thank a lot for uh, actually reaching out uh, to us and, and planning some uh, great projects together. Um, so much like the goal of um, Longevity International, we uh, have a lot of research going on here, but not always that well connected. There are wonderful research groups, for example, here in IMS, we're looking at rare mutations and how they could be helpful in telling us how biology of aging works. We have researchers in the Babraham campus looking at the epigenetic aging clocks. Um, at the Sanger Institute, there are people looking at uh, single cell RNA sequencing of, of, of different tissues and how they change during age. Um, or at the EBI, the Bioinformatics Institute, uh, Janet Thornton's group looking at, apart from protein um, biology, also at um, how the transcriptomics, uh, the global transcriptome RNA changes in, in the brains of patients and whether there are any um, common changes we could identify. So a lot of this, and also there are plenty of new startups. You might've heard of um, Shift Bioscience or Age Curve that are also focusing on um, figuring out some uh, aging biomarkers and how we could combat them. Um, and also in terms of Lastly, um, the public aspect, we have, um, for example, the uh, Hughes Hall Bridge Initiative, which looks at uh, actually how public health could be targeted. So not just looking at uh, so making sure that actually the aging benefits will um, benefit all of us. And for example, they had a very interesting conference last year about titled From Cell to Society about aging. Um, unfortunately, um, I'm not very sure all of these people know about um, each other, and that's where we're trying to come in now. So primarily a student society, but also with some higher goals. Um, and Alex can tell you a bit more about that and our plan for the future. Thank you, Milan. Um, so again, it's... Um... We're grateful to Longevity International and, and Adrian Analytics to inviting us to speak. And um, in a similar, in terms of 
what I'm doing, my role is relatively similar to Milan's, but I'm on more on the computational side at the IMS and I'm of course also interested in the organizational aspect. So what we intend to start with for the coming academic year is starting small with informal so socials that will hopefully be able to, to have in person um, every two to three months to bring people in Cambridge and in Cambridge and the wider uh, environment uh, together they are interested in aging. Another project where we, we look forward to collaborating with, with uh, Longevity International is that if you will have a look at the web platform and the longevity ecosystem as it currently stands, there are almost no institutions from the Cambridge area. There are a few groups from Sanger that are listed there who, who do work on uh, um, hematological cancers, of course, the age and connection, but there's really not a lot of information about the great work going on in Cambridge. So we, we want to contribute our knowledge we have and, and, and we'll look forward to contributing to this web, web platform. Then there are two larger events we want to host. So the one would be a career event for, for, for grad students and, and undergrads, of course that if you have this interest, let's say as a student in natural, uh, natural sciences, for example, or in computer science, how can you actually do your work in academia or in industry or policymaking potentially contribute towards our shared goal, which of course, as Ian specifically pointed out, is to uh, extend human healthy human lifespan. And lastly, uh, we would like to host a discussion panel which I think is more about the, the aspect of how do we um, justify our work to the larger, uh, larger public and also how do we deal with criticism perhaps from certain quarters. So the title would be Justifying Longevity Research in the Age of Climate Change and Global, uh, Global Inequality, where hopefully the, we could get the philosophy department from the university involved and have a conversation there and then of course trying to argue our perspective but also saying that we are open. Um, so I think this would be it for the moment and I think the way we want to do this is that really we want to build something sustainable in and around the University of Cambridge which ideally in the long term would also uh, survive with, without either Milan or me being there. So it's really about sustainability. It's a bit like the industry as a whole I would say. Uh, really trying to think long term. And of course, we are very grateful again for the opportunity and thank you for your attention. And if you have any questions, just type them in a chat or uh, contact Milan or me via email. I'll now put my, my mail address uh, in the, the chat. Thank you. Okay, um, thanks so much for that, um, Drs. Musso and Morsberg. For our next uh, institutional uh, co-founder Spotlight, we're joined by uh, Robert D. Young, um, and he's director of the uh, Gerontology Research Group's Super Centenarian Research and D Data Database Division. Um, welcome, Robert. Uh, greetings. Um, the first thing I would like to, to say is, is that the, the Gerontology Research Group has been, you know, working with uh, uh, this group with uh, Dmitry Kamitsky, uh, for, for over a, a decade, in fact, uh, I think Dimitri 
uh, met Dr. Uh, L. Stephen Coles, the founder of the Gerontology Research Group, uh, way back around 2008. So this has been a long-term view and, and a long-term uh, process. And, and one of the things that uh, we're trying to do is that in order to you know, test whether the maximum human lifespan is, is being extended with treatments, you know, we have to first figure out, uh, number one, how long people are, are living and, and then figure, figuring out, uh, you know, if some people are living longer, why are those people living longer? And uh, the Gerontology Research Group uh, began tracking uh, supercentenarian uh, data in 1997. So this project is, has been going for uh, over 23 years. Uh, a lot of this was inspired by Jean Colmet, the French woman that lived to be 122 and, and the very first uh, validated person to reach the age of 120. And uh, one of the things that, that I want to, want to say here is, um, you know, I'm also with uh, Guinness World Records. I'm the senior consultant for gerontology for Guinness World Records. And it's that when it comes to the maximum uh, human lifespan, there has been a lot of people that are either overly optimistic or overly skeptical. And I think we need to take an approach that is a science-based approach and a reason-based reason approach. And I think that the, the momentum is starting to turn in that direction. You know, the first, the first step was to, you know, defeat the myths of aging. And I think between uh, the 1970s and, and the early 2000s, uh, the myths of aging have been uh, mostly stamped out. Uh, the second thing though, is now we have to take on the over skeptics. We've had some people out there, you know, claiming that, you know, people over 110 don't exist and this is complete nonsense and we need to get rid of that idea. And we need to look at the facts and the facts are showing very strongly um, I think there was a recent uh, paper that just came out that showed that if you remove all the causes of death other than aging, uh, the maximum human lifespan would be approximately 135 plus or minus 15. Now, this is just one paper, but it was a very interesting estimate and it, it tailors fairly well with uh, what we see with the gerontology research group data with the understanding that when you add back in factors such as heart disease, cancer, accidents, uh, you know, other every other cause of death that you're necessarily going to have a lower maximum lifespan. So when we have a maximum observed lifespan of 122, but extreme value theorists, another area that's been really developing well in the past five to 10 years is in, instead of relying simply on one or two data points is, is come up with extreme value theory and they can basically use uh, machine uh, calculations, uh, you know, use supercomputers to calculate if you had 1 billion persons and you had a life expectancy of, of X, what is the expected results? And a lot of these results are showing that the maximum expected uh, lifespan is approximately 125 plus or minus three, which is interesting because without the other causes of death, the maximum lifespan was 135 with the environmental negative effects that it was 125. So this data comes in and fairly well. So uh, a third area that I think is, is really developing well is finding out are supercentenarians qualitatively different? And the answer is yes. And this is actually an area that has been not properly studied and not properly developed, but uh, we just had a paper that came out in, in Italy uh, that showed uh, for the first time, I think that the supercentenarians and actually centenarians also were having biomarkers of aging uh, and longevity that were significantly different than the average population. Uh, this actually suggests that the average population dies out before they reach these maximum ages. Only the people with a certain specific set of longevity genes are, are able to attain to maximum ages. And actually this is basically called the 
winning winning the lottery hypothesis in order to achieve maximum lifespan you have to have every gene uh, to be be correct if you have some genes that are are not correct then you're not going to be able to to reach this thing so this is an area of of um, research that really needs to be developed further and needs needs a lot of funding because now we're starting to identify you know the genetic factors that only people uh you know let me just say this right now approximately one in four million people are 110 plus okay so we have to understand that it really is winning the lottery to to be a super longevous person and uh, since these people have special genetics that almost no one else has uh, to me, this is uh, this is kind of a way to, to shorten the process of natural selection. Uh, instead of going through, you know, 300,000 years of evolution, we can simply uh, cut the corner and go straight to identify the people that are living super longevous right now and, and figure out that, well, we can apply this super longevity genetics uh, to the normal population and, and uh, with either genetic therapy or some type of treatments. I think that's a big issue. Uh, another area that really has needs a lot more development is causes of death for people 110 plus. I think there's actually uh, three or four basic big areas that have not been properly studied but need to. Um, one is uh, Dr. Coles uh, did uh, research. He did actually the first uh, autopsy study of supercentenarians, and he found about about 60% of supercentenarians were dying from. Uh, the buildup of amyloid plaques and tangles and associated with Alzheimer's disease in the past, but now we're finding that amyloid plaques and tangles could build, build up in the heart, the lungs, the liver, other body parts. It wasn't just a brain issue. And it affects about half the population and half the population is not affected and we're not sure why. And this is a question that has not been followed up on uh, sufficiently, it has not been answered. Why is approximately half the population having trouble with amyloid uh, protein buildup that is shortening their lifespan? Uh, another area for stem cell exhaustion reserve. We had this woman in the Netherlands that was 115. Uh, when she died, by the way, her brain had no sign of Alzheimer's, no sign of amyloid. So she was part of the half of the population that didn't have problems with amyloid buildup. But she had a problem, it's called stem cell exhaustion. They found that only two active blood stem cell lines were still working and uh, all the others had stopped. And a normal human has 10,000 to 20,000 stem cell lines. Now, one problem is this is only one individual and she also had cancer. So this leaves a lot of questions unanswered. Uh, were her stem cell lines exhausted because she had cancer? or was it because she reached some type of biological uh, factor? Uh, one of the things that I wanted to do with our longevity overview report uh, in 2020, and uh, I was uh, asking if, if we could go check that later, but uh, it's already online, so we, we can share that later, is this idea of across the globe, the maximum human lifespan seems to be the same uh, everywhere. And this really suggests that the longevity uh, factors are mostly mostly biological, environmental has, has a minor effect. Things such as climate can have a small effect. Uh, people tend to live longer in, in tropical locations, areas that don't get cold. We know the human body has uh, trouble with, with cold and, and especially uh, over 80. And uh, we also see that uh, a lot of diseases tend to be more common in, in areas that have uh, you know the winter cycle. Whereas um, we see many of the most longevous people, uh, for example, in, in Europe, uh, everybody that, that lived to be 116 plus, everybody lived in the Mediterranean region. No one lived in the northern part of Europe. So what does that tell you? There's something, there's a little bit of a climate benefit, but that's only a small benefit. Uh, you know, to me, the greater benefit we have to look at is the biological components of 
of aging. Uh, another area that I think that really needs to be understood is, is there's this misconception among some people that there's been a maximum lifespan increase that's been huge. And in fact, what they're actually confusing is the idea of life expectancy increase. If we go back to the data, for example, uh, in 1898, the maximum observed human lifespan was 110. And in 1997, it was 122. So if you map that out, that was a gain of approximately 12 years over a 99 year period. Um, you know, that's about one year per decade. That is not a huge increase. And in fact, we're seeing a little bit of a problem with the, with, with the, with the, the data where at age 113 and a half, the mortality rate begins to enter what I call the, the death zone. And the death zone is the point where the maximum, uh, where the uh, mortality rate goes above 50%, where the chance of death is greater than half. Um, we see that age 110, the death rate's about 50%, 111 is about 50%, 112 is about 50%. About 113 and a half, it starts to go up. This is the start of cohort extinction. And actually I had this hypothesis in 2012, I, I put out called the mortality peak hypothesis. Um, a lot of people didn't like this idea. Uh, in fact, there's probably part, part of an issue here. We have some people are pushing this exponential mortality, high mortality model, and some people are pushing mortality deceleration. And in fact, the, both the GRG and the ideal data is showing that both of the ideas are, in, are not correct. That in fact, the data is trending between the two extremes. It's, it's not high mortality and it's not the low mortality, it's actually uh, mid-range mortality. And the data is also bunching up very, very, very tightly in ways that would be um, not random chance, okay? So some of the cohort areas are showing mortality rate, uh, death rates in excess of 80% annual risk of death. So something's going on uh, there, that's not even happening at 110. Something's going on between 113 and a half and 117, uh, where the human body begins to give out and something's going on there. And we don't have enough data to study what the problem is. We've identified a problem, but we haven't figured out what the problem is. And we've known about this problem for 15, 20 years. And I think it's time for us to you know, have some more research and more funding into this area. So one of the things that the gerontology research group uh, wants to do, uh, especially the supercentenarian aging uh, division uh, is teaming up with Longevity International, Longevity Technology and all these other associated groups is we wanna get the message out there of areas that we've identified through our studies of supercentenarians uh, for follow-up studies. And I, I definitely think that there's it's not just one track, there's several different tracks here that, that we need to need to do. And I think um, if we have other people in other areas that have a better understanding of, of this data, the data, you know, if we went back 25 years, we didn't have these answers. Now we have these answers. We know, for example, go back to 1995, scientists believed that over 105, that males live longer, that turned out to be false. In fact, we see that females live longer. And uh, when we go to the data at age 110, it's 90% female. At 115, it's more like 95% female. And so we have this uh, biological advantage. We found that uh, females have a 3% lower risk of death at every age from conception to cohort extinction. That means even in the womb, uh, males have, male fetuses have a higher mortality rate in the womb than female fetuses. So, so there's actually something about, um, it's easier for females to live longer. And this is actually an idea that I've helped develop. It's called the double X hypothesis. Uh, this actually started with studies of birds, but I, I've kind of tried to 
say, you know, when I heard about uh, them studying birds and coming up with this idea, I said, you know what, this fits very well with humans, because before that, they were trying to come up with this idea like the menopause hypothesis and things like this, but the data didn't really show that because uh, the, the female advantage was the same before menopause and after menopause, so that idea is out. So one idea that is in is that uh, every female has a, a backup copy of their X uh, chromosome, and if there's a mistake on the first copy, the second copy can activate to cover that mistake. That means for every you know genetic issue that the female has two chances to get it right, the male has only one chance. So when you put it that way, it's already a big reason uh, why, why females are, live longer at, at virtually every age. The only age where, where males seem to do a little bit better is age 13. And that's uh, when, when the female body really starts to go through uh, puberty. Uh, other than that, it, it, it really, the data is showing, uh, we had actually Don Jennery from Jet Propulsion Laboratory and, and some other people, you know, did some research about a decade ago. And it, it really showed very strongly that at, at every, age level, whether it's 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 110, the females continue to live longer. Um, in addition, we also know that the male body tends to have more muscle mass and tends to be more built for peak strength. We know that males can you know, jump faster, run faster, lift more weights, all this stuff, but there's a price to be paid uh, and the price to be paid is less longevity. Uh, the female body is built more for endurance. Uh, there's this idea that especially that because the female body having to go through uh, childbirth uh, and a lot of females in the past before modern technology, if they were not able to endure childbirth, they, they died of childbirth. This factor is considered to be a hypothesis, uh, you know, for why females, uh, you know, might be able to have more endurance. But I think this is one question, though, is, is there a way to, to help males uh, live longer and uh, to, to try to close the gap? Or, or should we just acknowledge the fact that there's a gap there and that's just the way it is. Uh, I think that's an area uh, issue that needs to be uh, discussed. Uh, one area we do understand is environmentalism. You know, males in the past tended to have more hybrid jobs, you know, ride motorcycles, smoke more cigarettes and, and things like that. I think those type of areas are areas where we can say that, yes, uh, you can do better on, on that. But I think when it comes to the biological component, uh, I'm, I'm not so sure. I think there's an area though we need to talk about. So um, another thing I wanted to mention is that I'm currently working on some projects, including uh, I'm writing encyclopedia article of articles for the entire world, and it's scheduled to come out probably by the end of this year. And this is going to be very exciting. We have some data that's never before been shared, and uh, I think once this comes out, it's that's that's at the moment it's scheduled for November 2021. If it comes out, then uh, I think I can help uh, update longevity overview maybe January 20. 22 uh, with some of the updated data because the, the data continues to grow in size. We now have the gerontology research group. We have over 3,200 cases for 110 plus. And you know, before people said, well, where's the statistical power? Well, we're continuing to, to grow the statistical power and the data is going more and more strongly in the direction that we're, uh, we already envisioned that was going. So uh, the ideas that we already had then people questioned, uh, you know, maybe the data was, uh, you know, small sample size. Well, guess what? The data is continuing to grow in power and we're getting a better, better sense that, yes, this is actually the issue. So um, I think there's so much to, to talk about. I'm not sure I can fit everything in 15 minutes, but uh, I think that uh, questions uh, follow up a good chance for other people to, you know, ask questions uh, for particular areas that they're interested in. Uh, thanks so much for that, as always, Robert. Very, very insightful. Um, for, for questions, I, I think we'll uh, 
table those for, for the panel discussion, uh, provided we have time for that today. Uh, but, but thank you once again. I look forward to that encyclopedia article. And um, and yes, actually more than one, more than one. Yes, and, and we'd be delighted to update the Super Centenarians Landscape Report, our gerontology research group collaboration uh, in the new year, for sure. Once again, hello everyone. My name is Franco Cortese, Director of Aging Analytics Agency, a deep knowledge group, longevity focused analytical subsidiary. And today I will be delivering a short overview of an analytical report and interactive IT platform uh, which we produced uh, and donated to the Longevity International uh, Project as a dedicated platform component, which centers around the current state of the global uh, biomarkers of human aging and longevity ecosystem. Uh, so Aging Analytics Agency produced an analytical report in 2019, which uh, presented uh, the first overview of the current state of the field of biomarkers of human aging and longevity, uh, which we produced as part of our parent consortium's ongoing prioritization of this domain of research and development uh, in a number of areas, uh, but first and foremost, as the most readily available means for scientists, companies, and uh, other institutions to begin switching to a more human-centered approach for uh, the validation of human health span, uh, extending therapies, approaches, uh, etc. And given the rapid pace of development in this arena since then, we decided to release an expanded and updated uh, version of that analytical report current uh, up to Q2 2021, uh, which again, we have produced and donated to Longevity International. Uh, alongside that report, uh, we've also built an associated interactive IT platform, which allows that report's content to be viewed and interacted with, with a greater degree of precision and personalization, uh, and which allows many of the individual biomarkers, biomarker panels, uh, as well as the institutions uh, supporting and developing them, which includes companies, R&D hubs, and investors, uh, to be analyzed uh, and reviewed at a deeper fine-grained level. Um, the full scope of the report and IT platform illustrate the current state of the global industry and academic ecosystem of biomarkers of human aging and longevity, presenting uh, categorized lists of 150 single biomarkers and 100 diverse biomarker panels, uh, many of which, by the way, are market ready and approved for clinical use today. Uh, and uh, quite importantly, um, these biomarkers are ranked according to their ratios of accuracy uh, and availability um, versus um, uh, scalability um, and ease of use, essentially, according to the notion that uh, in many instances, uh, the perfect is the enemy of the good, uh, and the use of biomarkers for human longevity, which are good enough in terms of accuracy, um, but uh, have a higher degree of availability or implementability uh, or scalability than some more accurate biomarkers uh, are in many cases preferred uh, because they can be used to scale today. Uh, a major take home from that report uh, is that the scope uh, of individual biomarkers and biomarker panels uh, and of the um, companies uh, developing uh, these biomarkers uh, are much larger um, than many industry participants and stakeholders uh, actually realize. Um, and uh, the, the scope uh, of market-ready um, biomarkers and biomarker panels are more than sufficient uh, at this time to begin being utilized uh, more comprehensively within the longevity industry and academic ecosystem, again, as a tool for human-centered validation of a variety of approaches for health span extension. 
Uh, here you can see some of the biomarker panels uh, actually ranked according to their ratios of actionability uh, versus accuracy versus availability. Uh, and the methodology section of that report goes into greater detail in terms of the uh, specific weighted metrics that we've used um, to compute these ratios. Um, importantly, and as Ian mentioned earlier, we've seen a large diversity uh, of opinions in terms of the role of biomarkers of human aging and longevity uh, and, and the specific role that they have to play within the broader industry landscape today. Uh, and we feel that the actual number of market-ready biomarkers available for use, um, again, is more than sufficient um, to uh, allow them to basically um, help, help quite a lot in leapfrogging the translational gap between model organisms uh, and humans. Um, and frankly, that the, the scope of market-ready uh, biomarkers and biomarker panels um, are not uh, as commonly recognized among industry stakeholders as they should be. Um, a great example of this uh, would be blood-based biomarkers of aging, uh, or so-called hematological aging clocks. Uh, now, I'm a bit biased, having co-authored a few scientific publications on the topic of uh, blood-based biomarkers of, of human aging and longevity. Uh, but the point remains that blood-based biomarkers, um, especially when coupled with AI and deep learning-based uh, biomarker analysis, uh, have respectable levels of accuracy. Uh, for example, one model that we published in scientific reports um, could predict age within a margin of error of just 5.7 years, uh, compared to higher accuracy models like transcriptomic or proteomic aging clocks. Um, and critically and most importantly, with regard to blood-based biomarkers, um, they utilize uh, biomarkers which are available um, for measurement via routine blood work. Uh, in other words, extremely non-invasive uh, biomarkers available to clinicians and uh, even the majority of family physicians and doctors. And it's uh, again makes them uh, extremely scalable uh, and much more so than uh, more expensive variants such as transcriptomic or methylomic clocks. Um, and often the lesser degrees of accuracy uh, of blood-based biomarkers is a fair trade-off in terms of uh, scalability. Um, and we've argued many times in the past that um, certain governmental stakeholders uh, should actually be using uh, anonymized population level biomarker data to track the effectiveness uh, of their efforts to increase national levels of, of health adjusted life expectancy, um, which is a proxy for healthy longevity. Uh, as indeed the United Kingdom uh, is trying to do via their healthy aging industrial strategy uh, and their commitment to add five extra years of uh, socially inclusive healthy longevity to their population by the year of 2035, uh, otherwise known as uh, their 2035 goal. Uh, the central motivation uh, of this report uh, is again, more than uh, simply gaining deeper insight into uh, a specific sector of the global longevity industry. Uh, it's about showcasing the fact that the uh, present uh, real world capacity for industry stakeholders to begin transitioning to a more relevant human centered framework for validating and refining the effectiveness uh, of human health span uh, extending approaches and methods um, is greater uh, than it's ever been. And, and again, much larger than many industry stakeholders and participants, uh, I think, realize today. Uh, and of course, this is all compounded uh, by the fact that we are living uh, in a digital age, uh, more so than ever before, with mounting volumes of uh, digital biomarkers uh, as well as an age in which the, the scope and the true power of artificial intelligence uh, is rapidly increasing. 
And this, uh, frankly, creates a perfect storm for, for synergy uh, in, the, in the fact that you know, more data often results in, in better trained models uh, and that increasingly robust forms of AI are, are indeed not just complementary, but necessary to make sense uh, of these ever-mounting volumes of data in the first place. Uh, the report also has special sections uh, on key trends and sectors of interest. Uh, including, again, uh, a, a specific section on the role that AI has to play uh, within the uh, biomarkers of human aging and longevity landscape, uh, as well as uh, a spotlight on convergences between biomarkers of aging and longevity and space medicine. Uh, aging Analytics Agency actually um, produced an online virtual conference uh, on this topic uh, about a week and a half ago, and, and those recordings are, are available um, for or further consumption by, by those attendees that might be interested. Um, and, and we feel this is actually particularly relevant uh, given the fact that various biological and physiologically detrimental effects of space flight share many commonalities with the process of aging uh, and the uh, detrimental impacts um, um, of, of, sorry, and uh, also share uh, many of the characteristics um, uh, of detrimental impacts on the hallmarks of aging in particular. Um, and while this has been acknowledged for some time, um, it was recently validated to a greater extent uh, than, it, than it ever was before uh, via the NASA Twins study, uh, a landmark year-long study that uh, compared the effects of spaceflight on a wide variety of biomarkers between twins, uh, one spacefaring uh, and the other still earthbound. Uh, the report also uh, has a special spotlight um, on the role of biomarkers of aging and longevity within the insurance and insure tech sector uh, and the ways in which uh, a number of uh, companies are actually gamifying longevity uh, by offering discounts and other benefits to uh, clients who maintain healthy lifestyle habits uh, or maintain a biological age as measured uh, by biomarkers of aging and longevity lesser um, than their chronological age. Uh, and the report's third case study uh, is on the role that longevity biomarkers have to play in the creation of so-called digital avatars, uh, which means maximally comprehensive models of uh, specific individuals encompassing a wide range of different markers, both biological and non-biological, um, and how the increasing volume of biomarkers available for measurement is paving the way towards um, increasingly comprehensive uh, and useful or functional uh, models of individual humans, uh, which can be used to track health, longevity, uh, the effectiveness of therapeutic and lifestyle interventions, and more. Uh, and actually, I believe our final speaker today, Dmitry Kaminsky, uh, will be honing in on this topic of uh, digital avatars um, and their ongoing evolution. Uh, more precisely during his own talk later today. Uh, again, the report and IT platform um, was produced by us uh, and donated uh, for use in an open access manner to the Longevity International platform uh, and is available for viewing at uh, longevity.international slash biomarkers. Uh, and I'd encourage everyone joining us today to, to visit the platform uh, and to dive into its various insights and conclusions in a deeper manner than I was able to actually uh, portray today. Um, so thank you uh, for allowing me to deliver that overview. Uh, I'd now like to welcome to the floor our next speaker, uh, Ilya Stambler, who will be speaking on behalf of the International Longevity Alliance for our next institutional co-founder spotlight. 
uh, and giving an overview of um, their present scope of activities and their plans for the rest of the year. Ilya, great to have you with us. The floor is yours. Uh, thank you very much, Franco, uh, Dimitri, Ian. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for these initiatives. Uh, you, you are to be congratulated. It is a very promising, uh, very important uh, kind of platform that can help the longevity field. I am mainly involved in the uh, longevity not non-for-profit sector, not mainly exclusively in the non-for-profit sector. I represent quite a, a few uh, pro-longevity organizations. Uh, uh, such as uh, International uh, uh, Society Managing in Disease, but here I mainly represent the International Longevity Alliance. It is a, a coalition of uh, currently 29 uh, pro-longevity organizations from uh, uh, 24 countries. Uh, Non-profit organizations should be emphasized. One of them is, uh, is uh, my uh, home organization, the uh, PETEC Association, the Movement for Longevity and Quality of Life in Israel. Uh, and I also speak a little on behalf of that organization, which is also a confounding partner of, uh, of this platform. Uh, so uh, what is our agenda? Our agenda is to promote uh, longevity research, development and application with the main premise that uh, by intervention into aging, uh, we can uh, uh, prevent multiple age-related diseases and uh, extend healthy lifespan. Uh, we are obviously not the only organization that uh, that promotes uh, this view, the geroscience view, but uh, we uh, do our part uh, uh, to raise awareness and and uh, and promote it. And uh, we believe that a major way to promote uh, uh, this view, a major way to promote longevity field, is very simply to get more people involved, uh, to get them together, to get them talk to each other, to get them collaborate, uh, learn of each other. In this regard. Uh, also, this kind of platform that you created uh, can be very valuable, and that's also what we do in our ways. Uh, the, um, uh, the validity of the geroscience approach uh, should be obvious to everybody following the last year, when uh, the aged population uh, was the most heavily affected, both in terms of mortality and morbidity. And it should be obvious that by uh, intervention into aging, by, by uh, extending healthy longevity, we should also be able uh, to, uh, uh, to better cope with this crisis. Uh, so uh, last portion of, uh, a large portion of last year was spent uh, promoting this connection between aging and, uh, and, uh, and COVID. We organized international conferences, published papers, um, published in the mainstream press. Uh, I must say, after a year and a half, that unfortunately this idea uh, wasn't adopted uh, too um, too broadly by the uh, by the public uh, or by decision makers. Uh, logically, it should be obvious, but you know, it's <laughs> uh, some would separate in public might, you know, viruses apart, and uh, the risk factors are separate. Uh, but uh, still, uh, we we put a lot of effort into this promotion, and I hope we can build on that, you know, to to further. Uh, show the connection between aging and not just uh, chronic uh, non-communicable disease, but also uh, infectious communicable diseases. Uh, of course, there are many proofs of feasibility that it is possible to intervene into aging uh, to prevent uh, multiple age-related disease and extend healthy life. Uh, we, we didn't invent it, but uh, we, we do our best to promote it. There is also a large assortment of uh, Imagine uh, geroprotective therapies or anti-aging therapies that are built on this principle that target specific uh, process of aging. 
uh, in order to extend healthy life. Uh, most of them are still in the uh, fundamental laboratory stage. And our goal as an advocacy organization is to bring them as, uh, as fast as possible to the, to the clinic uh, to facilitate the translation. Uh, so we have been promoting uh, the discussion on this topic. Uh, for example, organized a, uh, a international conference, uh, online conference uh, with HELIS, the Health Life Exchange Society is one of the uh, major collaborators with the ILA uh, to, to raise discussion of this topic. Also ILA funds uh, some um, animal experiments with synolytics in Leipzig University, but uh, we mainly promote the discussion uh, the, and advocate for, for more uh, clinical testing of, of uh, geroprotective therapies. And of course, I share the conviction that uh, uh, biomarkers are extremely important. Uh, you cannot uh, treat or rely on treatments of something that you do not diagnose. So uh, in order to develop treatments for, for aging or for healthy aging, uh, you have to be able to measure aging to diagnose aging. That's why uh, biomarkers, clinical uh, endpoints, uh, and uh, generally the clinical criteria to evaluate aging are very important. And we also advanced this discussion, also organized another uh, conference um, uh, specifically on the clinical endpoints of aging. Uh, also, right now, we completed a special uh, research topic in frontiers in genetics under the ILA uh, affiliation on uh, clinical evaluation criteria for aging and age-related multimorbidity. Uh, nine um, uh, articles uh, were published. Of course, uh, that's just another, you know, uh, another uh, drop in the ocean, another brick in the wall, but it still um, promotes somewhat the, uh, the, um, the discussion. We're happy that also your platform our platform um, is advancing this discussion. And of course, we also uh, advance uh, health education, health and longevity education, but that's not our main, uh, our main area of activities. We, we do uh, focus on, uh, on biomedical intervention, on promoting of, uh, biomedical intervention, but we believe that these are not uh, contradictory. Uh, some people oppose healthy lifestyle with, with uh, biomedical research and development. We believe that they can act in synergy. Uh, and of course, the main thrust of our organization of the International Longevity Alliance and also of our VETIC Association is advocacy, advocacy for more research and development, for more funding for the uh, geroscience field, for the longevity field, uh, which also involves explaining uh, to the general public and to decision makers the benefit uh, from this approach uh, in economic terms and humanitarian terms. Uh, but in this audience, um, uh, it is, it's clear to everybody. Unfortunately, it's not uh, so clear to to the public and decision makers. Uh, but basically, as I believe, uh, the way to advance the longevity field is to get more people involved. And uh, that means everybody. That means the general public, the, the pharmaceutical and medical technology industry, health insurance, life insurance, regulators, policymakers, scientists, students, all should be uh, aware and involved in the longevity field. And that's why it is very important to create additional tools for their uh, discourse, for their collaboration, for their uh, Cross fertilization, and uh, so your your development is also very welcome. But of course, other other means are also welcome to to promote the dialogue. Uh, still, uh, if uh, if the importance of uh, preventive geroscience um, uh, approaches is so obvious, uh, why isn't it adopted uh, by the uh, by the decision makers uh, more more uh, profoundly? Of course, there are great examples like the UK, which is more advanced than others probably. Uh, but still, the, um, uh, the proportion that is spent on the prevention of age-related disease is simply minuscule, both in terms of research and clinical practice, 
so uh, we want to increase this proportion to, to some reasonable amounts. And how do we do this? Uh, as for any social cause that we believe needs promotion, uh, we self-organize. We create a movement, we advocate, we educate, we go to decision makers, we go to the public, uh, we stress the importance of, of, of a stronger effort in this area, like with any uh, social cause, with green cause, with, uh, with the rights of specific uh, segments of the population, also with the longevity cause, we need more advocacy. And that's where our organizations come uh, into, uh, the Longevity Alliance, but also our organization in Israel, our main, um, our main activity is advocacy. Unfortunately, it's not uh, such a well-recognized or supported area in the longevity field, but it's also uh, very important, even crucial. And you can do advocacy on every level from the international, where you can um, influence uh, particular programmatic documents. Here just uh, highlighted two uh, um, uh, international programmatic documents that we were able to somehow influence a little bit, uh, the ICD-11, but I'll, I'll uh, go back to it in more details uh, later, and the uh, general program of work, the WHO program of work, but I will uh, sp speak about it a little bit uh, later. Uh, also, uh, on the national level, we need to develop sets of policy recommendations for the promotion of the longevity field, uh, such as we did uh, with the International Society on Aging and Disease. Uh, uh, that was done in this organization, but uh, the translation, the dissemination was mainly done by the International Longevity Alliance. Generally, the, the synergy between organization is, is, is very strong, you know, uh, a person can be in many organizations at once and um, the cooperation is usually uh, indistinguishable. Uh, so uh, we need uh, more of this uh, advocacy on the national level. Uh, uh, the, main, uh, the main unit of advocacy is an individual NGO, an individual nonprofit. So uh, uh, in the Israeli nonprofit, for example, we, uh, we uh, work on increasing awareness of the longevity field, communication and support, analysis. Basically, these are the things that, uh, that should be done. You, know? uh, you shouldn't think a lot about the subject uh, to come up with this, uh, with this topic. And um, every, every venue for the promotion is, is important. And also on the individual level, uh, we, we, uh, we work to, to bring more people to the field. Uh, encourage more people to become interested even without joining our organizations uh, and even without waiting for the government to take on this uh, agenda, just to become more educated about the topic, uh, uh, become involved in, uh, in research, in, uh, in uh, joining other, in forming network, and of course, uh, leading the healthy lifestyle, which will help us all um, uh, to, to facilitate the therapies as well. Uh, what are some of the uh, uh, some of the outcomes uh, from this advocacy work? Well, it is uh, probably too little to say, uh, too too early to say. I personally have been involved in longevity advocacy for about 20 years. In 2002, we built our first uh, site on, on life extension promotion. Uh, but but uh, still, the the it is too early to to uh, to count the the uh, the gains. The field is too young, uh, but still there are some. Uh, some uh, important advancement where I'm happy to say that international longevity was also strongly involved. For example, uh, we've been organizing uh, for about uh, 10 years the so-called uh, International Longevity Day campaign or the International Longevity Month campaign uh, to promote awareness about uh, longevity research. In the good years, uh, it involved hundreds of, uh, of events in dozens of, of countries. And now, of course, in the last year, it was uh, much uh, less active. 
but we hope we will continue with, with this campaign and to start to, um, uh, to organize for the next October, even the next, within the next uh, few days, of course, we'll also organize uh, conferences, uh, such as uh, the series of conferences uh, that we had uh, in Israel and other countries, uh, together with the Geroscience Interest Group, uh, where I also had uh, the honor to be in the organizing committee. Uh, so uh, uh, getting people together is very important also in live venues, and I hope we renew this activity uh, in the very near future. Uh, some of the, uh, uh, just a few more minutes, uh, some of the um, uh, outcomes from our advocacy that we can be proud of in 2017, we were able to introduce aging into the WHO uh, program of work, thanks to the organizations like uh, the International Society on Aging and Disease, but also the International Longevity Alliance and uh, many other allies. Thanks to this advocacy, it is now in the work program. Also something that uh, ILA especially can be proud of in cooperation with the BGRF, uh, the work of Franco also and uh, Darek Halturin and, and uh, others to introduce uh, aging into the international classification of disease um, as, a, as an extension, as a modifying code, uh, which for the first time um, uh, put uh, aging as a, um, as a disease factor into the uh, international classification of disease. So this also shows that uh, through advocacy, it is possible to affect uh, public policy and public health policy even at, at such a level. Uh, so that's also uh, the kind of activity we will continue. And I must note our Israeli association, uh, which is also a member of the ILA and also a uh, uh, contributor uh, to this platform. Uh, the Vedic Association, also in cooperation with another association, Disabled Not Half a Person, um, and the, we advanced this uh, on, on the Israeli political, um, uh, political arena, organized some meetings in Knesset about enhancing uh, research development and education for health and longevity, actually put this topic into the Israel National Master Plan on Aging. Uh, as a result uh, of this advocacy, uh, there were issued several calls for research proposals, specifically in Israel, but also international, such as the Biorex Aging, a Britain-Israel Research and Academic Exchange on Aging, uh, where I had the honor to write uh, the first draft of the call for research proposals. 200 labs submitted, uh, 100 from the UK, 100 from Israel, uh, 14 labs received funding with seven joint projects. So I think it is a very successful model that uh, can be scaled up to other countries. And that's also what uh, we plan to do in the Israeli Association and also hopefully in the International Longevity Alliance. Because once again, collaboration is key here. It is absolutely obvious that one country, even, even a large country, cannot solve this problem alone, the problem of, of aging. Uh, we need international cooperation, and the more the better through various means. And I hope our role as advocates and as, as communicators, connectors, will be to promote this communication. And here I once again welcome your initiative, and I hope together uh, we will contribute that health and longevity will really become a top um, a top point on the international agenda as it really deserves and we can all benefit from from the results from uh, from therapies for health and longevity thank you brilliant thank you Ilya. um i'd now like to welcome uh john adams who is um the uh, executive chairman of the gerontology research group and the CEO of the Aging Intervention Foundation. Uh, John, the floor is yours. Well, thanks. Uh, you can call me Johnny. Friends call me Johnny. And uh, my mission uh, in life, 
pretty much is to solve the problem of biological aging. Uh, so we can all stay young and healthy for a very long time. That's, uh, that's why we're here. That's in common with a lot of you. But the big question is after we do that, then what? Well, then on to solve uh, many other problems facing the world today. And to do all that, we need more time. Now, I don't normally talk as fast as I do, uh, or as I will during this brief, uh, I guess I have about 14 minutes left presentation. Uh, I have a lot of material to rip through quickly. And in keeping with the theme of this web webinar, which I'll remind us is building a knowledge, of, uh, a knowledge and collaboration platform. Uh, and all that happens through people, by the way. Um, I'll show you two kinds of things. One is I'll show you my own ideas uh, regarding sets of biomarkers and objective measures for your consideration by Franco and the Aging uh, Analytics Agency and others in this group uh, attending today. And they uh, are practical, relatively low cost measures. They have served me well in managing my own foundation, small studies and pilot studies, uh, as well as guiding and informing my own self-directed age management research program. And to that end, I've also developed relationships with some companies that are offering highly innovative biomarkers. You could call me a facilitator um, in, in my relationship with these companies. I'm, you know, you might normally call it an independent rep, but I'm not in it for personal gain. I'm not in it for the money. I'm in it to advance the state of the science and get more healthy years. So um, I can uh, help, you know, through my relationships, I can help uh, innovative researchers with the selection of various biomarkers and also get them at the lowest cost and uh, uh, hassle-free. Um, also in keeping with the theme of this webinar, I, uh, regarding a software platform to manage and analyze data, I'll show some ideas to consider about how one might look and help uh, this organization with its development. Um, so first to set the stage, uh, and this fits again with the theme of this meeting, I believe, I'm gonna take you to the aging metrics site and I think first I have to share my screen. Great, this is agingmetrics.org. This is just the 30,000 foot view, so to speak. Uh, the organization and I provide valuable biomarkers and objective measures and data management and analysis and other software systems. And I wanna be clear that this is, you know, I have to restrict this in some ways. There's only so much time uh, only to researchers developing the most innovative aging therapies with greatest potential for much longer healthy lifespans. And I'll uh, talk about what that means in a minute, but all this is offered at low or no cost and possible funding provided by the foundation and subsidized by donors and supporters and, and my own volunteer efforts. So examples of the kinds of aging therapies that 
we're particularly interested in supporting. And the, there's a reason for that and a reason why you, by attending this seminar, seminar today, should be interested in, in these therapies, among others that, that you may consider. But uh, in my uh, humble estimation and those of some advisors, these have the greatest opportunity um, for youth enhancing, youth promoting, um, roll back the aging clock, age management, anti-aging, whatever you want to call it, um, effects. Uh, the first one at the top of the list, number one, reset the epigenome, DNA methylation, and some others to a more youthful biological age. Uh, that's sometimes known as cellu cellular reprogramming, possibly using Yamanaka factors and others. Uh, the other number one is gene editing and gene therapy. And my personal greatest interest is knock-ins of youth enhancing genes. Um, right up there close, uh, there's been a lot of uh, activity with the Comboys and uh, Dobry and others today, remove harmful pro-aging factors from older, older blood. Um, you know, this initiative and I personally are very interested in that. And we're doing some things, or my, so, my associates are in that regard. Also adding youth enhancing factors found in young blood, more effective senolytics and restoring mitochondrial function. So I'm gonna move along uh, and I have to move this down. Uh, to the central hub of you know, where you can locate all the information that I talk about. I'm going to just very, very briefly, because you know, I'm not that important, but uh, here you can see a background summary, what I'm about, if you're interested, and um, just the objective, solve aging. Here are some successes, a couple of writings, but some experiments that have shown positive effects and results in measured, <clears throat> excuse me, biomarkers, umbilical cord plasma infusions, senolytics. I'm doing peptides now, Cavinson peptides. Um, next, this is very relevant to, to our uh, theme today. And I'm gonna stay on schedule, so move at a faster clip. Uh, the Aging Intervention Program, this covers a system and a list of therapies, but metrics is uh, very important. We're going to come back to this, but I'm just going to suggest, though, something that's often overlooked in uh, biomarkers and objective measures is that we, we need to truly keep in mind is the end result we seek. And uh, I just want to start with a disclaimer. This is not advice. This is what I do. Consult your own physician if you do any of this stuff. Um, here are shout outs to the kinds of individuals I would like to work with. Um, but the end results we seek, and, and it helps to keep this in focus, physical, particularly mobility. We want to be able to move around the world, uh, you know, uh, we want to be able to sprint to catch that bus, not to have to have someone wheel us in a wheelchair. And I'll add that, that a skilled geriatrician can often look at an, an elderly patient, walk down the hall and tell, you know, how well they're doing and, you know, how much time they have left on this earth. 
but uh, physical mobility, sensory healing. Um, I really have to skip through this, but the other category is cognitive and mental function. These are the end results we seek. We want to maintain clarity of thought, problem solving, productivity, and then finally, emotional and spiritual, you know, a subjective feeling of well-being and enjoy, enjoyment of life, uh, connection with others. So having said that, a little later, we're going to, uh, again, keeping with the theme of this, part four is metrics, and I will uh, talk to you about that. Now, going back to... Um, Couple of other things. Um, TikTok, uh, eight minutes, 24 seconds in. Okay, I'm going to end on time. But um, this I'm not going to get into. But the aging intervention program is utilizing therapies and methods that are available now. The plan to get a great many more years, you know, ideally open ended healthy lifespan, that's into the future. Um, that's what that's about. I'm not going to go into that now. But this is something that is very exciting. Age management telehealth physicians. I was honored to be named the manager of this. I and with, with the assistance and partnership of some other very talented people are bringing this from conception to reality. And there are different components to this. But it, basically, it will be remote consultations with highly, highly experienced age management physicians. We're looking at rolling that out approximately August 2021. And I, I'm really um, rather proud and honored to be involved with that. Now, let's get back to some things we can do on this aging metric site. And one of them that uh, the kinds of biomarkers and objective measures, DNA methylation and testing. I, I have this independent relationship um, facilitator with Zymo Research. I've been with them many years. I've, I've used them a lot. Um, I am not a representative. I in no way represent the Clock Foundation, but I do endorse them very highly. They're doing some innovative things and at a cost that are very important. Now, an innovative company, Genfinity Precision Medicine, is doing senescence-associated beta-galactosidase testing and NAD testing plus metabolites, oxidative stress. And for researchers, the, these are not available to, to the consumer community, but for researchers, things like AMPK, mTOR, CERT1, Clotho, others that you read here. Um, the Levine-Horvath phenotypic age calculation, I, if we have time, I'll show you that, and uh, cognitive and uh, mental testing. That's something I bring to the party. And our affiliates, depending on your innovative high-level uh, research, can, can develop just about any biomarker test that you need. So moving on from that, here's something very quickly that uh, I was very excited about a recent uh, paper by Tony Weiss-Coré and Benoit Lahallier. They developed a proteome clock. So I um, dug in and developed a version of this that 
uh, I, I still have to overcome some obstacles, but this is a chart of 64 subjects from a sample data that, uh, file that I created to create this chart. No time to really go into this, I'd love to, but um, here is something that I make available to you right now. The Levine-Horvath phenotypic age calculation is one very low cost, very valuable measure. And uh, we only have about three minutes left. You can go to this page yourself and upload. And right now this only works with LabCorp, uh, complete blood count and metabolic panel, plus um, C-reactive protein reports that you can, well, I'm gonna uh, grab one. I think I have one here ready. And extracts data from up a lot of bandwidth because there. A little reminder: if you, you know, double check and make sure you have your C, CRP in there, you may have to enter it yourself. But notice it extracted this data from the report. So now we're going to calculate phenotypic age and the difference and some other things. So for this subject at age 69. According to this calculation, which is highly innovative, 59.08 and uh, minus 10.35 years. So, um, so that's that. Um, well, yeah. This, which I need to expand. Yeah, this is a uh, subject management system. There are three columns there. These are fictitious individuals with fictitious data. I don't know if you can see all of the measurement interspersed with the therapy data. We're going to turn this into charts. This is part of the age management telehealth physicians, but also the kinds of things, and I know for, um, for clinical research, it has to be anonymized, but this is the kind of thing that, that I could create for your uh, research studies. There's some other things here that we're, yeah, we're out of time. I have like half a minute left, so we have to go back to what is the most important thing that I wanted to show you today. Uh, go back to the Aging Intervention Program, part four. which is the metrics section. And this discusses it, but something that uh, gives some background, consider this. You know, when I learn of a new biomarker or objective measure, there are some questions I ask about, I ask about it. Like the variability, what's the cost? Will it be available into the future? Lots of other things. And then here are, various categories of biomarkers. Um, I, I break them up into lab or blood work, cognitive testing, uh, plus physiological or functional testing. So um, there are two types that I've used frequently. One, a simple yet effective category for things like nutraceuticals. And I use this to demonstrate to my satisfaction, for example, that 
the plasmalogen uh, by a company called Prodrome helped me in this N equals one, not statistically relevant, but um, it gave me the information I needed to motivate me to continue to take the stuff. Um, but it's uh, two mental tests and then one, two or three physical tests. So just simple, you establish a baseline over a course of days, you know, get up in the morning, you take the nutraceutical, whatever it is. And then about 20 minutes later, you repeat the test. You see whether the test numbers are better and whether there's a shift towards youth. And I recognize I'm about a minute and a half over. So I'm gonna wrap this up. Now here, this gets into a little more comprehensive. This is a basic biomarker set or protocol that we used to evaluate um, exosomes. And it breaks out chapter and verse, you know, the formulation for everything, um, exactly which lab tests, what equipment was need, needed, how to conduct it, and what sequence to do these different tests. And um, feel free to contact me anytime for more information. So here, TikTok, we're pushing, uh, as this graphic indicates, I'm gonna wrap it up with the, uh, where we're going with this. Uh, ultimately, once we solve aging, yeah, we'll stand around on a beach on one leg for a while and then onward to solve the rest of the problems of the world. Uh, thank you, sorry for going a little over. Uh, no problem whatsoever, Johnny. Uh, thank you, uh, practical and insightful as always. Uh, and on the topic of biomarkers, by the way, you and uh, our other attendees might be interested in joining us this coming Wednesday uh, for a virtual event it's being hosted by Aging Analytics Agency on the topic of human biomarkers of aging and longevity. Uh, the agenda and uh, related materials will be available uh, quite soon in the next day or two, and I'll be sure to send that as a follow up uh, to everybody who's, who's attending today. So thank you once again, Johnny. Uh, I would now like to bring to the floor for our next uh, institutional co-founder uh, spotlight, uh, Leila Velias, uh, co-founder of Hype 50 Plus. Uh, Leila, it's great to see you again. It's, it's been a while. Uh, yes. So thank you for joining us. Uh, delighted to have you. Uh, the floor is yours. Thank you. I'm so thrilled to be here. Uh, thank you so much for, for the invite. Actually, I'm a little bit overwhelmed because my background is so different from yours and I'm learning a lot. Uh, I'm a mar marketeer, so I, I learned about business since a young age because I've been in entrepreneurial families. So I call myself a silver economy silverpreneur because we have a lot of things to do here in Brazil and that's what I'm doing. Actually, I started to learn about longevity and everything related to it because of my father. He's my main inspiration and guardian angel for everything I do. I'll present my, um, my deck here. Since there's, there are a lot of things to do here in Brazil, I actually co-founded a little bit uh, some companies. Uh, the main one being Hype 50 Plus, which is a marketing consultancy agency specializing this silver consumer and then a lot of other things because again there are a lot of things to do this is my dog sorry he's here uh actually with me in this talk so uh hype 50 it's 
high p50 plus I, as a, an entrepreneur when i saw that there there um there was a way to help people so to have social impact and for profit as a business i saw that this is this was an amazing market to work from when i started in 2015 nobody was actually talking about the economy of longevity or economy of silver economy. So um, actually there were talk about public health, something like that, but not uh, in the eyes of the consumer and the market. So um, now I have a lot of clients and I did that, that with research, with consumer and marketing research. And that's what I've been doing since 2015 actually talking to people over 50, 60, 80, 90, and I hope 100. <laughs> and, uh, and so here in Brazil, everyone uh, in, 2000, in 2019, I went to Japan and people were asking me, why are you here? Because Brazil is such a young country, but actually we are getting older and we have a lot of people over 50, over 60 years old and will be one of the oldest country in 2050. Um, in 2018, I did this big research, which is called Tsunami 60 Plus. It was the first time actually that someone took the time to talk with over 2,500 people from 50 to 90 years old. And what we learned, it was a main point here in Brazil because uh, nobody have ever done it. And actually we didn't uh, had researchers that could talk to people over 50 who knew about this. So I had together a lot of partners. So uh, we could have people from the North of Brazil, South of Brazil, Southeast and all around it. And it was an amazing job because, uh, because it was the first time that we talked about silver economy in the press. Uh, for public servers and investors, entrepreneurs and everything like that. So actually it was uh, a groundbreaking study and I'm so passionate and so proud of it. We did a video case that went viral, especially right now in the pandemic. Everything in Brazil, we have a lot of people. So uh, we have four, 400K uh, viewers and that's, and that's just like um, the result of why this is such an important topic here and, and now. In 2021, this year, we are expanding our research to Latin America. It will be uh, actually the first time again uh, to have a marketing research to see how people are living, what they're buying, how is this household and what are these kind of families that are changing so much? And here in Brazil, we are doing another one uh, to see what are the Brazilians 50 plus doing in the pandemic, what they are learning, what they are doing differently from, from before. So welcome to the Brazilian silver economy. Uh, yes, we have a silver economy in Brazil. It's, it's still very young, it's still very, Little, uh, few people are talking about this, but it's, it's an amazing opportunity and of this 
silver wave or tsunami because it's such a, a huge market. So uh, here in Brazil, we already have more grandmas and grandpas than grandkids, which implies that we have more people over 65 than young kids until five years old. And this is changing very quickly. So right now we have like in Rio de Janeiro or, uh, or in the south of Brazil, more people over 60 years old than teenagers or, uh, up to 14 years old. So this is happening. And in 2050, will be the sixth oldest country in the world. Okay, so let's talk about numbers. 50 pluses represents almost 2 trillion reais and has a huge impact in our households. So 64 Brazilian households are in the hands of 60 plus. And in favelas, in lower class um, houses, actually this number increases to 73%. And when I talk about this, maybe uh, you cannot relate very much because I know from Israel or Europe or everything like that, you already know uh, a lot about people over 50, but for you to understand when I started working with this in 2015, uh, the only people, the only data we had, it was from people up to 45 years old. So nobody would never ask anything to uh, someone with 75 and actually, okay, are you ready to live to 90 or 100? What, what, what? we will do and uh, what do you want to do what are your dreams and what do you need so that's so here everything is so new that new that we actually have to ask and create this data so most of, of the senior people silver economy here in brazil are still invisible and misunderstood there are a lot of stereotypes and uh, this is one of our data, four out of 10 wants more products and services for them. But of course, after talking with a lot of people and showing up and having data since 2015, some things are changing, but it's still very early here in Brazil. Everything is so early, that's why we need more and more people. So we, we are starting to see our pharmaceuticals, uh, wanting to be a part of this conversation. Uh, cosmetic companies, of course, uh, food industry and Hedge Global, which is a huge network uh, from novellas and everything like that are starting to see and to understand, but they are starting to see, and actually uh, the, the, the 50 year plus consumers are actually like, more than 70% of the, of the viewers. So see, everything is very new. And because it's new and we are aging so fast, this is a huge opportunities for investors, for entrepreneurs, age techs. This is another one of our data. We uh, learned of more than uh, 400 age techs and see where they are. And actually they are very early stages and of course, we need more funding. We need uh, more investors in this area, just like any other countries. And we need more doers. We need more people doing stuff here in Brazil 
talking about this, not only talking about this, but actually doing things. Because uh, again, we are aging faster. This is a huge market. And I hope you, you fell in love with Brazilian silver economy as well. And if you want to do something here, please contact me. Thank you so much. Um, thank you, Leila. Next up, uh, we'll be hearing from uh, Thomas Seal and uh, Adrian Berg, um, who are respectively the president and director of the Catalyst Institute. And they'll be sharing some insights on the Institute's plans and objectives for 2021 and 2022. Um, Thomas and Adrian. Um, uh, thank you, Ian. Adrian's gonna go first. Adrian, please. Thank you so much, Ian. Uh, first of all, like everybody else here, I'm delighted to be part of all of this and to help you more aware of what the Catalyst Institute is doing. It might be new to you. Uh, we are a nonprofit organization with a very specialized mission in the United States to accelerate the translation of advancements in geroscience and in fact, any science that deals with longevity and better aging into material and sustainable and accessible gains in public health. And we do this in four ways. And what I'm going to do is explain this to you and ask you to really listen to how you can be part of any one or all four of these different initiatives. And you'll also see why we're so pleased to participate in Longevity International and with Aging Analytics in general, who have been incredible supporters of us from the beginning. So one of the things that people always ask is, how did this little nonprofit started during COVID get to be known so quickly? And the answer is we didn't start during COVID. One of our major initiatives is an annual conference. It's called Metabesity. And it really started in 2017 in London and was the brainchild of somebody you're gonna hear from very shortly, which is Dr. Alexander Fleming. And he brought together, perhaps for the first time, really silo breaking professions to talk about aging, to talk about intervening in aging and to change the way we think about aging from a scientific point of view, as well as from a cultural point of view. It was very successful. And in 2019, it was repeated in Washington, DC. By then there was already talk about having the very first policy on health span in the United States. Unlike England, we don't have a policy on health span. So what happened then during COVID, right before COVID, we didn't know it was gonna break, uh, was that the Catalis Institute, the nonprofit was born. And I was asked to be the executive director basically of an organization that didn't exist yet. And in my usual fashion, I said, Sure, why not? Let's just do it. We'll put on a show. And we did. So one of the four things that I'd like you to think about that we're doing is our show, which is our annual four-day event coming up in October. It's called Metabesity 2021. We're already planning for 2022 live in Washington, D.C. And there are a lot of things that you can do. You can simply be a registrant and attend free of charge. What we do is free of charge. We had over 1,000 people last year. Uh, we expect to double that, if not more. The other thing that we do with, in relation to this conference is we have a fourth day, specialized fourth day, which we call the Emerging Company Showcase, where startups, mid-level companies in the field of longevity and successful and healthy aging come and actually present and meet potential investors. So in addition to our three days of education, there's a fourth day 
where we have a very practical day. The other thing I want you to know, and you'll hear about this from Dr. Fleming, is that our, uh, our event, Three Days, is really a think tank. It's not so much a presentation and talking head, but it's organized around 12 challenges to getting our policy of health span for all in the US. And those challenges really do require solutions. And our panelists, our moderators will all be talking about solutions. So if you have solutions, we wanna hear from you. Uh, and you can do that very easily at our two websites, catalyst.org or metabesity2021.com, all of which are in the chat. And you will see that there's a contact section there. Please contact us. And I also put in all of our social media to follow us there. So one of the ways you can involve with us is our wonderful conference. Second thing we are doing is we're going to Washington. We are not a 401c3, we're a, four, we, a 401c4, we're not a lobbying organization. We educate both sides of the aisle on what is going on. Now, if you take a look at many of the slides you've already seen, you will see that many of our speakers and our supporters are listed there one way or another. We really do have a voice with regard to geroscience and we're bringing that to Washington. We call it Project Healthspan. We're gonna hear more about that from Thomas in a few minutes. But what this really is, is another coalition, including those folks that you're hearing uh, about here today in Longevity International, because they are preparing for us exactly what the UK did. And we're going to show this. And because we are a competitive nature uh, by nature culturally, Maybe we'll get a little competition in Washington to realize how important, how much cost in healthcare we're spending unnecessarily because we do not have an historically national policy on aging and longevity itself. This is also where the issues of for all come in. We have a very diverse population in the US and many of the people are very underserved. We've been hearing a lot about that politically and we're here to say that not only equality in healthcare is necessary, but equality in health span is necessary. Because otherwise, many of the different interventions that you just heard uh, from John Adams, from uh, all of you can be, can be bought, but not by everybody. And that's why part of our mission is increased health span for all. And the third that I wanna talk about for a second is we call it Project Endpoints. Now, when I mention this, you may think, oh, this is a small part of what we do. No, it's really the tail that wags the dog here. We have an FDA, we have regulations for our devices, for our pharmaceuticals, for our biomarkers, for everything that all of you that are creating these incredible interventions in aging would like to be part of our public health and covered by insurance, by Medicare and all the other problems that we have within our healthcare system can be ameliorated if we pay for prevention rather than cure. We don't do that. We are a very cure focused nation, which is why I sometimes say we are a great place to be sick, but not such a good place to stay well. Now with project endpoints, we would be changing some of those views right at our regulatory base, the FDA and other regulatory agencies as well so that this could become a real trickle-down affair where if our regulators are looking at prevention as much as they do cure, so will our medical 
uh, professionals, so will our medical training, and so even will our population, looking more at prevention than cure. So that's our project endpoint. And in any of these things, whether it's our conference, which is the easiest thing to get involved with, simply attend it, support it. And we support you and your events very, very robustly. Project Health, uh, uh, health Span, uh, where we're going to the government. We would like to hear what you're doing in your locations all over the world, because we do use that as a lever to get attention to what we're talking about. And finally, project endpoints. There's a lot of dialogue here that we need to have. Uh, should intervention in aging itself be considered a disease? You all know that that's been one of the things talked about many times. So there are many ways to work with us. I will say that personally, uh, I'm on the United Nations Committee on Aging. And again, we are taking up that same mission to increase health span for all, all over the world. So we hope that locally in the US will be a beacon for any country, any organization, any county, any town that wants to increase health span for their population. And I'm going to finish with this. We also have a campus. It's an online platform. Uh, we are linking to Longevity International. They have done, as you can see, this yeoman's job in bringing together so much information about the longevity situation worldwide. Our bandwidth is not that kind of analysis. So we are thrilled to be part and to link our Catalyst campus. But what we are is an engagement hub. So the campus is based on the 12 challenges that we would like to overcome. Uh, and it is situated so that it's encrypted, it's HIPAA compliant, meaning that scientists, policymakers, insurance, financial professions can talk to each other and feel free to do so, like a think tank. We have mastermind groups that are coming up, but most importantly, it's all being structured and facilitated uh, the way futurists work, because we're really not looking to the present only, we're looking to the future. So that is the Catalyst Campus, and you can join us. And of course, everything we do is free of charge. And we will be very happy to, to give you any information that you need to reach out to your constituents to be all part of this. And uh, on a personal note, I'm going to end right now. It's something that's very important to me, but it really has been, in one way or another, mentioned by almost everybody here. Uh, Ilya mentioned it, John mentioned it, I'll mention it. So I don't have what um, was called the genetic lottery. I failed the genetic lottery. I didn't have one relative that lived past the age of 60 and my, uh, my father died at 42. And when my last relative died at 60 at the funeral, I said, you know, I don't have a lot of years left. And the person next to me said, what do you care? It's not great to grow old anyway. That was supposed to make me feel better. Years later, uh, I worked with Dr. Butler, who you may know, uh, at the Longevity Center, and I became a, a, a fellow, an age boom fellow. And he had written a book that won the Pulitzer Prize. It was called Why Survive? Being Old in America. And it was why, same, same thing as the person at the funeral said to me. Ageism, lack of life purpose, uh, of course, comorbidities, the word we now know because of COVID, and general decline. That's what we're really here to stop. This idea that it doesn't pay to grow old, that if you don't win the lottery, you're better off. 
So I do want to say this, with everything we're doing from a geroscience point of view and changing the face of biological aging, we also will all be working together on the two-way street. That when it feels better to age, we'll get the governments and the people behind us. And when we could live longer as we are doing now, that will trickle down to make us all feel better about the years ahead. So thank you so much. And I'm gonna to toss it right over now to Thomas. Thank you, Adrian. So Aging Analytics Agency, Deep Knowledge Group, and the rest of the consortium, the founding consortium, this launch today of Longevity.International is timely and highly relevant because as we've heard before, the longevity space has been growing explosively in recent years. I'm actually supposed to present on a panel at the Gerontological Society of America annual meeting this fall on the growing longevity ecosystem and platforms such as Longevity.International and the Catalyst Institute's virtual campus are nodes and means for those of us in the space to keep up with the growing field and to make these connections. So this is wonderful. As uh, uh, Adrian mentioned, our inaugural edition of our flagship Metabesi conference was held in London in October 2017, then in Washington in 2019 last year. It was virtual uh, because of the pandemic. In these past conferences, we've had prominent geroscientists and medical researchers, members of Congress and the UK Parliament, executives of big pharma and big, uh, big food, and emerging companies and longevity VCs and other stakeholders presenting in keynotes, panels, discussions, and fireside chats. As Adrian mentioned, for our 2021 edition, this coming October, we're gonna do something a little different. We want to workshop specific challenges and solutions that slow or stand in the way of rapid translation of science into public health. So earlier this week, there we go, um, we issued a press release naming 12 key challenges to increasing healthy longevity. We're not claiming that these are the 12 key challenges and our list may change over time, but from our lane of accelerating the translation of emerging science into healthy longevity for all, we name a dozen uh, and we group them into four themes. The first cluster deals with getting evidence that solutions actually work, that they are effective. Uh, Catalis Executive Chairman Zan Fleming will focus on this cluster, so let me skip these first three challenges. The second cluster falls under the category of optimizing public-private policy. Uh, Challenge four is establishing a national policy for encouraging and achieving healthy longevity. The US, which is in fact one of the leaders in geroscience is not among the leaders when it comes to making healthy longevity a national priority. This notwithstanding that uh, we are on an unsustainable trajectory of exploding private and public healthcare costs and the accelerating graying of the population. As we mentioned before, in contrast, the UK has adopted a national goal of increasing average health span by five years by 2035 with equitable access across society. So setting a national policy would also require the uh, adoption of laws and policies that would facilitate and encourage development of interventions for healthy longevity. Challenge five is providing public investment in research and development of healthy longevity solutions. And I can report as part of Project HealthSpan, one rare bipartisan initiative in the current Congress in the US appears to be the creation of a civilian health agency to fund bold initiatives in health. The number of 6.5 billion is currently on the table, dollars, in the style of defense programs such as DARPA and BARDA. Uh, challenge six is incentivizing the healthcare system to target healthy longevity in everyday practice. 
Here the target is healthcare practitioners and payers who typically are in silos of medical specialties and reimbursement or non-reimbursement. The third cluster uh, is under the category of aligning commercialization and economics. Challenge seven is enhancing the conditions for private investment, for example, by adopting laws and policies to align incentives for the development of generics for longevity indications. Absent such provisions, no private party would make such investments because the data would benefit free riding generic competitors who didn't fund such data. Challenge eight is developing alternatives for marketing healthy longevity products. This is a question of supporting business models, new business models, in contrast to, for example, the classic pharma biotech model of uh, developing novel molecules and charging a premium uh, for that that precludes most or many from access. Or on the other end, developing nutritionals that are marketed without reliable data. Challenge nine is making the economic case to stimulate practical action. The concept of the longevity dividend has been around in this iteration since at least the aughts of this century, but healthy longevity is not yet a US national priority and funding for research into individual diseases collectively far outweigh the funding for delaying or reversing biological aging, which could eliminate or diminish chronic diseases in one fell swoop. There have been economic analyses such as expected trillions of dollars in savings for incremental years of extension of healthy longevity. Such analyses must be updated and refined to persuasively account net for entitlement payments and other perceived socioeconomic costs. The fourth cluster falls under the category of addressing human behavior. Uh, challenge 10 is finding effective ways to get people to practice healthy habits. All the funding and laws and policies won't make any difference if the public will not adhere or comply with or practice healthy habits. Why spend the time and resources to develop a pill that mimics the benefits of uh, exercise if the pill taker decides to spend more time on the couch watching TV and eating potato chips? So challenge 11 is figuring out how to reach the disadvantaged. In other words, to ensure that healthy longevity is not just for the well-off. Healthy longevity would actually be one of the few ways to move the needle on health inequities because it would directly address one of the root causes, i.e. the differential access to medical care and treatments available to the disadvantaged in comparison to those better off. The full public health benefits and economic savings and economic opportunity would only be realized to the extent healthy longevity is accessible to all or most all, not just a subset of the society. Challenge 12 is educating consumers and advisors and policymakers to make evidence-based decisions. This education is both, is both informational and instructional. Informational, for example, because many fear longevity. They envision a drooling, demented nonagenarian in a wheelchair instead of a vibrant, alert, independent elderly who looks and feels and acts like a healthy 50 or 60 year old today. And instructional, we need to help people think about how to assess claims based on reliable evidence versus hype. So our intention is to start the conversation on these challenges and possible solutions on community boards of the Catalyst virtual campus, culminating in white papers proposing tractable steps. And we invite you uh, into the conversation on platforms such as the Catalyst virtual campus, the longevity.international platform and similar venues. At this point, I'll pass the mic to Dan Fleming, founder and executive chairman of the Catalyst Institute, who will address the cluster of challenges for generating evidence and why this is critical. Dan? Well, thank you, Thomas. It's a great honor to be with you today. 
I feel that we have a global community right before our eyes. And we thank our colleagues at Aging Analytics uh, for getting the ball rolling. We're pleased and, and very, very excited to be a part of this uh, community. Say, I bring a background as an endocrinologist. I was at NIH minding my own business and got an opportunity to go to FDA thinking that it would be a sabbatical. I ended up finding that I was better at critiquing other people's research than doing it myself. So I made a career at FDA and I was lucky enough to be there uh, in time to approve the first statin, to approve metformin, and a number of other, other therapies uh, that are important today. But let me tell you, I am tired of developing treatments to manage chronic disease. I think that clearly, as Adrian mentioned, is where the focus is right now. It's dealing with the morbidity and mortality of chronic diseases and, and using palliatives, not preventives. So we want to change that at Catalyst, the Catalyst Institute. And part of that really has to do with identifying the key roadblocks to getting solutions to people. Now, the science, as you know, is spectacular. We've got plenty of evidence that we can make inroads in uh, increasing healthy longevity and preventing chronic, or at least delaying the onset of chronic disease. The big problem though, is that even though we had this explosion in the lab, uh, ranging uh, all across the world, we have very few studies that are actually in the clinic and aimed at showing that a product works. We have had on the drawing boards for some years, the TAME trial, the trial to target aging with metformin, a drug I approved at FDA back in the early 90s. That drug had some uh, promise for preventing age-related uh, diseases or slowing them. But um, even though it has this promise, there is no incentive for uh, actually doing a trial that would show that these diseases can be slowed in their onset by metformin. And Thomas mentioned one of the reasons, and that is simply a lack of incentives to take a generic drug and to do the necessary uh, trials to show that the product works. The reason that we have so few studies going is simply because we don't have a way of attracting investment in trials that will show long-term evidence of safety and effectiveness. In other words, ways that these products can be approved for health span indications. And that's what Catalyst wants to take on among one of its uh, hallmark uh, programs. The problem is today we've got the great science and we'd like to be able to put the solution into the mouth or otherwise uh, given to a consumer who's healthy, but we can't, we just don't have the evidence today. 
And so what we are going to have to do is to work backwards and understand what it's going to take to be able to get a consumer to be able to take a product that is prescribed by a physician, if it is a regulated product. And we at Catalyst have a very broad appetite for any solution, not just regulated pharmaceuticals and advanced therapies, but certainly digital technology, nutritional products, lifestyle, anything that works. But let's just talk about what it's going to take to get products that uh, are pharmaceuticals and could uh, have some uh, effect on health span. It takes having a physician who uh, has a reason and uh, can justify uh, uh, encouraging a patient or uh, a consumer to take a medication for many years to prevent a, a future uh, chronic disease. And to do that, it would take um, in the US having some of the major payers being willing to reimburse for that product. And for them to do that, it will take evidence for them to uh, make that decision. And before that can happen, it's going to take uh, the um, clinical trials that will be necessary and take longer than would be traditional for approving, a, say, a drug for diabetes or lowering cholesterol. So this is the big challenge, getting data that will ultimately lead to enough reason for FDA to approve the product, for payers to pay for it, for physicians to prescribe it, and the biggest nut to crack, getting people to take a product for 10 or 10 years or more uh, to get uh, some kind of effect. The way things are now, the kind of trials that are required will take decades and billions of dollars. And we've got to make that a much more approachable proposition. And that's something that we at Catalis are working on right now. We want to make it possible to get the evidence that's going to allow physicians ultimately to prescribe the products. And again, I emphasize that uh, regulated products is just one piece of the puzzle, but it's an important one and it's one that we need to, to take on directly. I think we all understand that uh, there is every reason to expect that we're going to have healthier aging people. We all want that for our society and for ones and for our uh, upcoming generations. The science says we can, and concern for those who are coming after us and uh, even ourselves says that we we should. And ultimately, if we don't do something about this rising tide of older people who are plagued by chronic illnesses, then uh, we will be in big trouble. So we must take on this big challenge. Catalyst is very pleased to be a part of this uh, community that uh, Longevity International has uh, stimulated. I thank you. Um, thanks, thanks for that, Dr. Fleming. Um, that was insightful.
<clears throat> so next we're going to hear from uh, Jose Cordero, uh, who is a fellow of the World Academy of uh, Art and Science. And he'll be speaking on activities within the Latin American longevity ecosystem. Uh, welcome, Jose. Um, thank you so much. Uh, it is a pleasure to be here with so many friends that I know, many of you for many years. And I want to talk about uh, uh, Latin America and the Iberian Peninsula, that is the Spanish and Portuguese speaking countries that I cover. And I have um, written a lot, including a recent book called The Death of Death in Spanish, La Muerte de la Muerte in Portuguese, Amorche da Morte. Uh, I work with many futurist groups like the World Academy of Art and Science, the World Future Society, uh, that are also founding uh, partners of this initiative in three countries, in Mexico, in Spain, and in Venezuela, which is the country where I was born, in Caracas, Venezuela, but I now live in Madrid, Spain. I also coordinate with the Millennium Project, uh, the countries of Latin America and the Iberian Peninsula. And we focus on the future and uh, we have 15 global challenges and we have written scenarios about Latin America and other parts of the world in the year 2030, for example. And one of the scenarios considers longevity escape velocity. Uh, and that means the time when we will live long enough to live uh, for as long as we want by 2030, which is a forecast by my friend uh, Ray Kurzweil uh, from uh, Google and Singularity University. I actually presented this at the World Economic Forum, the famous Davos Conference for Latin America, and talking about life extension, so it was really interesting. Now that I live in Spain, until about over five centuries ago, Spain was the country of non plus ultra. And that is what it said in the columns in the center of the flag. Uh, non plus ultra before, which was nothing far beyond because the Spain was the end of the known world at the time. But when the discovery or rediscovery of the Americas by the Spanish in 1492, the name was changed to Plus Ultra, far beyond Plus Ultra. And my goal from Spain is to take it into life, Vita Plus Ultra, and to join Spain and the Americas in this endeavor. Uh, the Ibero-American, as we say it in Spanish, Ibero-American, Iberian Peninsula and Latin America, it's a major community uh, with over half a billion people, actually a lot more, as you will see, uh, native speakers. And we also have um, uh, invited members uh, going from France and Italy, which come from the Romance languages of the Roman Empire, but also other members like the USA, Japan, the Philippines, or African countries like Angola and Mozambique. The USA is very important actually, because the USA today has more Spanish speakers than Spain. Actually, the USA is the second largest Spanish speaking country in the world today only after Mexico. 
but the Spanish, again, is still a major language. In terms of native speakers, it is ahead of English, as you can see, uh, but behind China. This is native speakers. However, it is true that as a second language, English is by far number one, even far ahead of China, because it's funny, China has more English speakers than the USA has a population. More English speakers in China than the total US population. That is why English, it is indeed the common lingua franca today. But I repeat, in terms of native speakers, Spanish is number two in the planet and also the fourth most common language in the internet world. So I took these ideas um, two years ago uh, and I ran for the European Parliament to make this uh, issue of longevity and the Spanish uh, Latin community. And it was a very quick campaign, probably the fastest campaign for the European Parliament. And in about three months, I got 7,000 votes from my home city here in Madrid. Uh, this was incredible with the idea of longevity for the European Parliament, 7,000 votes in an incredibly fast campaign. This had a lot of impact, uh, so much that even Agent analytics agency recognized me as one of the longevity leaders in the world. And um, I have been also pushing for the ideas of uh, my friend David Sinclair at Harvard University, that he has been pushing actually to declare a city or a country um, uh, where aging could be considered a disease, but a curable disease. This is what I'm doing now. I'm talking to several mayors in Spain and also in Latin America to see which country or which city declares aging as a disease. We know this is um, arguable. Some people like Aubrey de Grey say that aging is not a disease, but some people like David Sinclair say it is a disease. I am in this field of aging as a disease because it is important for public and private investment. So I do support this effort and also what was done before, uh, as Ilya explained, working with the World Health Organization and talking about age-related diseases. So this is part of my current campaign now to have some place in Spain or in Latin America to declare aging as a disease. Why? Because all diseases really are related to aging in a way, including COVID. You can see COVID is an age-related disease. And if we go back into history, uh, the worst pandemic in human history was the Black Death that killed 200 million people. And the planet population was not even a billion people at that time, much less. Or even a century ago, uh, the Spanish flu which was not a Spanish, by the way. Apparently, it started in the USA, but it killed globally 50 million people. And the world population at the time was only 2 billion people. So that is a lot more people than uh, COVID. COVID is a small pandemic, a small pandemic in historic terms, much smaller than the Spanish flu, much smaller than smallpox, Black Death, uh, even HIV AIDS. However, it has paralyzed the world with huge investments from governments and corporations. 
And, and if we have paralyzed the world because of a, a small pandemic COVID, imagine what we have to do with aging because all other diseases are related to aging, influenza, cancer, Alzheimer's, cardiovascular diseases. The big elephant in the room is aging. It is not COVID. So how can we stop the planet for COVID when it is very small pandemic compared to aging? Uh, and then also, if we consider separate diseases like cancer, heart disease, you know, if we cure them, we can get maybe three or four years. But if we cure aging, we get decades and decades of healthy lifespan. That is why a friend of mine, David Wood, who studied at Cambridge, England, and I studied at Cambridge, Massachusetts, at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, we decided three years ago to write a book that has become a best-selling book in Spanish and in Portuguese. Uh, and in fact, I have been promoting this a lot all over Latin America, in Brazil, Argentina, Mexico, obviously Spain and Portugal. It became number one and number five book in Spanish, number one in paper, number five, in uh, Kindle, uh, electronic format. The same in Portuguese, number one best-selling book in Brazil. And I am donated all the royalties, all the income of this book goes to scientific research, half to the SENS Research Foundation in California with Aubrey de Grey, and the other half in Spain to a scientific foundation. Now the book has come out also in French and it has become a bestseller as well in French and just now has uh, been launched in Russian in two versions, The Death of Death. And next month it will be launched in Chinese in three different versions. I am now looking for an English editor since many of you are based in the USA or in the UK. Uh, my book is a bestseller in many languages, not yet in English, but I'm looking for a publisher, a good one, a top publisher to change the world, advancing our ideas of longevity. Why from Spain? Because Spain has the second largest life expectancy in the world among the major economies, only after Japan. Japan has the highest life expectancy, and Spain has the second longest life expectancy among the G20 countries. And there is incredible research like Maria Blasco, who heads the Cancer Research Center in Madrid, and who has been an author of the most famous study about aging, the hallmarks of aging. And she has been pushing for longevity extension. And also Dr. Juan Carlos is Pisua Belmonte, who is the deputy director of the Salk Institute in California, and who has been able to rejuvenate uh, different animals using Yamanaka factors and other technologies. So a Spanish scientist in Spain, uh, in the USA, in other countries, in Europe, etc., and Latin Americans are working extensively on anti-aging research. Many of these ideas were popularized by my friend Ray Kurzweil that talks about immortality by the year 2045. And um, he's just publishing the newer edition of his book, The Singularity is Near, and it will be called The Singularity is Nearer, 
nearer. It is closer and he still maintains the year 2045 to reach immortality or better called rejuvenation technologies available for everybody who wants that. I was one of the founding faculty at Singularity University where this is one of the ideas that we talk about, uh, indefinite life spans, radical life extension, immortality. Because of this convergence of technologies, nano, bio, info, cogno, and all technologies that change exponentially, faster, smaller, cheaper, and better. And not only with computers, as many of us know, Moore's law and what is happening with computers, incredibly fast change, improvement. It is happening faster in biology, much faster. Moore's law is nothing compared to what is happening now in biology, in genetics, and soon all over medicine. So we are talking, as I mentioned before, that aging should be considered as a disease, but a curable disease. And I want you to join David Sinclair, myself, and others working on different countries to push for these ideas that will change the world. It will change history and it will change the future once we have a first country or city that declares aging as a curable condition. We already know that this is possible. It has been done with animals. We have extended almost twice the lifespan of mice, four times mosquitoes, 10 times for worms. We know now that there are immortal cells and they are called biologically immortal cells like cancer. We also have biologically immortal good cells like germ cells for reproduction. They are called biologically immortal by biologists, okay, by scientists. We also have immortal life forms like hydras, some jellyfish, medusas. And we have the first life forms in the planet, bacteria that divide symmetrically who are also considered biologically immortal. So the proof that immortality is possible is that it already exists. It already exists. And cancer cells discovered how to become immortal. And cancer cells did not go to Cambridge University, like my co-author, or to MIT, like myself. And we are going to discover what cancer did to become immortal. This is not rocket science. Even cancer discovered how to become immortal. My dear friend, Aubrey de Grey has been pushing for this for a long time. Even though he was called by my alma mater, MIT, technology review from MIT called him a charlatan, a crazy guy in 2005. And then in 14 years later, MIT changed its mind. And it said, old age is over if you want it. Look at the change of paradigm in 14 years at MIT itself, my alma mater. So as philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer said, all um, truth goes through three stages. Number one, it is ridiculed. Number two, it is opposed violently. And number three, it is accepted as self-evident. So. I believe that by 2045, this will be evident and we will see how barbaric we were today that we let people die. We need to abolish death. 
as my friend Ray Kurzweil talks about the three bridges to immortality. First bridge in the 2010s, uh, beginning now. Second bridge, biotechnology, the 2020s. Third bridge, nanotechnology into the 2030s. And then uh, indefinite life spans, rejuvenation, immortality in the 2040s. Many companies are investing on this heavily. Google with Calico and many other companies. Microsoft says that they will solve cancer as a virus, a computer virus, now that we have sequenced the genome and we can find the mutations in cancer that makes those cells immortal, biologically immortal. This is a computer problem now. It is not a medical problem. Or um, Mark Zuckerberg, who is donating his fortune to cure all diseases, all diseases, including aging. And obviously we have the incredible people from Aging Analytics Agency that has been publishing since 2017, uh, some incredible work. And, and you can see how this industry has been growing from millions to billions and soon to trillions. In 10 years, I believe this will be the largest industry in the world, the largest industry in history. We have even a Nobel Prize, Shinya Yamanaka, 2012, for rejuvenating a cell, which is fantastic. This was thought impossible two decades ago, and now we know we can rejuvenate cells. Many different ways using CRISPR, senolytics, many other treatments. Uh, we are going to talk about those in a, one conference I helped to organize uh, in um, Las Vegas, but now it's going to be virtual this year. Uh, Redfest, Revolution Against Aging and Death. Or in Madrid, I have been organizing conferences about aging, longevity, and new technologies, and bringing uh, people like Robert Sofia, even to talk about this with scientists working on biology and medicine. The next one will be in October. I welcome you all to come to Madrid, to the most beautiful place, to the Ateneo de Madrid that is celebrating two centuries, 200 years. And in that auditorium, Albert Einstein spoke, Marie Curie spoke, and now we are going to have Aubrey the Great and many other scientists talking about longevity, indefinite lifespans. So I do believe that we can rejuvenate ourselves and not with a Russian application computer app, app like FaceApp, that you say, make me young, make me old. No, no, we are going to be younger thanks to biotechnology. And uh, once again, it is a pleasure to collaborate with many of you and welcome to Madrid, welcome to Spain in October, 2021. Thank you so much, Jose. Uh, wide ranging and insightful as always. Um, and, and so great to get some insight into what's happening uh, in the Latin American longevity ecosystem, especially given Longevity International's um, international focus and the fact that many of our attendees today might be unaware of, of these developments just due to their uh, resident geographies. So, so thank you so much. Uh, we'd now like to bring uh, to the floor our next uh, institutional co-founder spotlight. Uh, Chris Linnell, president of the Canadian uh, Longevity uh, Association, uh, will give a brief talk on the CLA's scope of activities and the agenda uh, for 2021 and 2022. Chris, delighted to have you. The floor is yours. Hi there. Well, first of all, thank you very much to uh, 
yourself and the other organizers for the invitation to speak at this amazing event. And it's an honor for the Canadian Longevity Association to be a uh, founding member of Longevity International. Um, just start briefly with a little bit of a bio of me. Um, I mean, I studied history at Oxford, but specialized in history of science and have been interested in longevity science for more than 25 years, um, but only um, got interested in taking an active part in 2017. Um, however, looking around here in Toronto, Canada, there, there were no, no organizations or there was nobody to join. So I started writing my own newsletter. I uh, actually volunteered and joined uh, lifespan.io, formerly known as the Life Extension Advocacy Foundation. And I continued to volunteer for them and also started a uh, Facebook group, the Toronto Longevity Association. And we had a couple of meetings before COVID struck, um, but then last year realized that Canada itself was really needing a national organization, a national nonprofit to, uh, to push forward our longevity agenda. So that is what the, uh, the big plan for this year is. Um, I, should, I should mention that the Canadian Longevity Association is not yet um, officially registered or incorporated. However, we are moving forward with that and uh, we will do so this year. Uh, so far, I've got uh, five other people sort of volunteering uh, to various degrees, um, helping out. Uh, we've launched a, a few weeks ago, we launched a very basic website, the Canadian um, the longe uh, Canadian longevity.ca and I'll just quickly share my screen just, just to show you that briefly. Here we go. So it's just a very, a very basic, um, very basic website with just a home mission, asking people to become volunteers and um, a new section which we've linked from uh, actually lifespan. Uh, .io. Um, this website will, however, be growing depending on the availability of my friend, who is the uh, who is the um, our our web developer, um, and um, the uh, the prior the primary goal, as I say, this year is to actually um, officially register to officially incorporate. Um, amongst other things, um, for example, another volunteer is designing a logo. Um, we've, we're, we've been building up a database of all the various Canadian institutions and researchers who are in some way connected to longevity, and we'll be reaching out to them all to hopefully join our organization um, in the future. Uh, also, now that the COVID restrictions are slowly starting to stop, they've um, though they're still in place to a large extent, uh, we will... Uh, be starting uh, in-person meetings again. Um, hope to get get more people to join that away. Um, the sort of the scope of the organization, the intention is obviously to provide support for the researchers out there in Canada who are working in some way connected to longevity, or at least to maybe entice them out of the closet um, and to work uh, to more openly work towards uh, that goal. Um, also to foster an environment for uh, biotechs to start. Uh, and um, obviously apart from building up public awareness, also um, lobbying the government. And a, sm a small initial step there is taking place already. And then I've had a couple meetings with my uh, local member of parliament, who's actually part of the um, 
of the government, and uh, he is um, very interested and actually quite supportive of uh, of um, longevity. Actually, which was was very exciting. Um, uh, longer term, uh, um, longer term plans. Uh, the, the hope is to also hold a uh, longevity conference, a scientific conference, here in uh, Toronto. Perhaps maybe as soon as next year if we get our act together. And um, that's yeah, that's about uh, that's sort of a brief uh, overview of where we stand. And um, yeah, again. Thank you for the organizers for inviting me for this. Our pleasure, Chris. Uh, we can't wait to see some of these uh, activities unfold over the course of the coming year. Uh, next up uh, for our next uh, institutional co-founder spotlight, I'd like to welcome to the floor uh, Joseph Huntington, uh, the co-president of the Oxford University Society for Aging and Longevity, uh, who will be delivering some insights into the society's mandates and mission uh, plans for the coming year, uh, as well as some insight into their motivation for joining as a Longevity International Institutional Co-Founding Partner. Uh, welcome, Joseph. Glad to have you with us. The floor is yours. Brilliant. Hi. Uh, first, I want to say, yeah, thank you for, for inviting me and for hosting this, this fantastic event. It's really been enlightening uh, listening to all the speakers today. Um, so as Franco said, I'm, I'm Joseph. I'm one of the co-presidents at the Oxford Society of Aging and Longevity. Um, and we're a student-led initiative at Oxford University with the main goal to disseminate aging research, um, campaign for reclassifying aging as a disease, um, and to discuss the sort of socio and economic implications for increased health span. Um, since the society's inception in 2019, we've invited scientists and entrepreneurs and venture capitalists um, to give talks on their research work and, and business experience. Um, and over the past six months, we've hosted over five excellent speakers um, one of which, um, Dr. Aub Aubrey de Grey, um, who attracted over 150 people at one of our virtual events. Um, in addition to this, we also collaborate with other Oxford University societies to host events, um, such as the Oxford University Scientific Society and the Pharmacology Society. Um, so we're very well placed to, um, to host these events and, and, and disseminate aging research to Oxford students, but also to allow um, external speakers to come in and, and access the Oxford student network. Um, so looking to the future, we really want to expand our reach um, both within Oxford um, but, and also uh, nationally in the UK between other universities and create stronger links between uh, other academic institutions and also industry to create a, a geoscience network and leveraging our influence at Oxford University. Um, and to do this, we, we're finalising our website and YouTube channel um, alongside another year of um, some fantastic speakers. Um, in addition to this, we also want to become a, a central repository for available internships in, in the field. So if you um, want to speak at one of our events or advertise in internships at Oxford University students, then please do get in touch. Um, and again, I want to say uh, thank you for, for inviting us to speak today. Um, and we really look forward to working with um, Longevity International and bringing Oxford students interested in aging research into the global space alongside allowing um, Longevity International partners to also access university students as well and, and see what collaborations that we can bring about. Um, so yeah, thank you very much. Thanks so much, Joseph. For our final speaker today, uh, I would like to welcome to the floor <coughs> Dmitry Kaminsky, General Partner of Deep Knowledge Group, who will share some insights into a specific uh, Longevity International component, uh, the global longevity ecosystem, uh, which Ian touched upon briefly during his talk. 
uh, although with a, a greater degree of focus on uh, how uh, it is representative of the increasing trend uh, of, of using modern technological uh, methods to accelerate and democratize uh, global longevity industry collaboration. Uh, Dimitri, thank you for joining us today. The floor is yours. Thank you, Franca, uh, for the introduction. Hello, everybody. It's my great pleasure to be here today. Uh, so yes, indeed, I will um, provide some overview how we do see this platform, Longevity International, not just uh, as association, uh, but uh, more as a technologically driven uh, system, ecosystem uh, hub, uh, which will use uh, software, advanced software solutions to increase, to enhance, to improve uh, actual uh, collaborative a synergetic uh, um, uh, engagements and interactions between the uh, different uh, longevity industry participants. Um, <clears throat> I will share my screen and will show some uh, specific uh, components of the platform. During the last several years, we at Deep Knowledge Group were financing uh, Asia Analytics Agency. Um, Frank Cortez is director of this company. And Asian Analytics, they actually did great work to aggregate information about 20,000 companies, actually even more than 20,000, approximately 10,000 investors, uh, and around 1,000 uh, different type of uh, R&D hubs, non-profits, uh, and different policy-making uh, organizations. <clears throat> and they actually uh, aggregate information about 20,000 companies uh, distributed across 20 sectors. Some of them particularly related to geoscience, <clears throat> some of them uh, absolutely not to science, but for example, to insurance, healthcare insurance and advanced insure tech uh, technologies, <clears throat> which is, um, if you will consider uh, the scope, the capacity of insurance industry, uh, by its size, it's much bigger than <clears throat> uh, anything uh, yet currently existing in, uh, in the field of biomedicine, advanced biomedicine, and, uh, medicine of longevity or geoscience. So that's why <clears throat> uh, establishment of efficient cross-sectors uh, collaboration, including, for example, such as InsurTech or uh, asset management focused on uh, uh, clients who are actually expecting to live longer. So this is quite important in terms of uh, actually bringing more investment, more financing into aging research. <clears throat> Uh, here uh, on the platform. So first of all, um, the, all this technology, all this platform, including such uh, specific tools as, uh, for example, interactive mind maps. So all this uh, transferred by agent clinics agents to this uh, platform, Longevity International, and it will stay, uh, it, will, it will belong, it, it will, uh, since now on forever, will belong to Longevity International. Uh, and we are considering Longevity International as indeed uh, association and uh, decentralized. So uh, Ian Inkster is coordinator, but uh, all co-founding partners, uh, they will be appears. So we don't, we don't see that there will be kind of more uh, guiding participants. Everybody will be equal. <clears throat> now, uh, within this platform, uh, one of specific components, which is yet only in uh, uh, 
let's say, in very basic uh, mode, but nevertheless, uh, longevity dot charity, this will be one of the significant, one of the important components of the platform. And uh, this will be, uh, we will proceed to develop, develop this uh, part of, of the system with the aim to help uh, to provide uh, technological sophisticated um, IT solution for different charities, longevity related charities, uh, to help them to actually you know to engage with uh, donors uh, either for crowdfunding campaigns but also will provide some uh, analytics how they can uh, attract money from uh, you know corporate uh, corporate donors in the sense like from commercial big commercial organizations from corporations uh, here in particular you can already see a medical report on uh, 50 charities so this is first iteration but never, nevertheless it's already here also on the platform on Longevity International, you can find uh, information about currently 2,000 leaders. In total, uh, I think there are there is information about probably 100,000 people participating uh, who are behind those 20,000 companies. Uh, but uh, at the same time, you can you can review particular leaders, and uh, they are segregated uh, by regions and also by their uh, specialty. During this year, uh, I will publish five books in total on longevity topic, including longevity financial industry, practical longevity. Uh, longevity politics will be published uh, in two months from now. But this book in particular, Biomarkers for Longevity, which uh, we consider as uh, the topic of biomarkers uh, most important for actually crucial and essential for further growth of, of uh, sustainable growth of the industry. Uh, that's why uh, in the next three weeks, we are publishing this book by Marcus of Human Longevity. I think that uh, we will send, uh, once it will be published, we'll send uh, the link to the book to all people who, who are today on this uh, webinar. Uh, <clears throat> during, uh, at the Deep Knowledge Group, we will proceed uh, with our commitment to finance current development of particular software solutions, adding some uh, additional tools to this platform, for example, uh, here, uh, yet it's uh, not uh, actually implemented, but here will be also quite sophisticated uh, solution in the next several months. It will be jobs, jobs, internships, and the different types of, uh, you know, <clears throat> opportunities, how people can actually participate into the work of uh, practical work, either in, uh, in commercial organizations, either maybe in resource organizations, or maybe uh, charities or you know policy policy making uh, organizations. Um, I would like to encourage you if you will have any ideas how this platform uh, can be further developed. What additional components you would like to add? Please uh, reach out to In Inkster. He will uh, aggregate uh, those ideas and recommendations, uh, and uh, they will coordinate with uh, Frank Curtis how to develop how to. What in particular, what uh, first of all, uh, what additional tools and components should be implemented on the platforms with the idea that uh, uh, to provide uh, participants with uh, as much as possible uh, advanced uh, techno uh, technologically driven software solutions for this particular collaborative, uh, uh, you know, the idea of collaborative uh, work on the platform. And, uh, uh, Today, when 21st year of 21st century, and I think uh, by this time, it's actually a good time to implement uh, 
quite modern uh, IT software solutions with the aim to give uh, all people uh, who are somehow related to longevity ecosystem as much as possible additional tools to you know simplify to them the most efficient ways of uh, uh, interactions, uh, communication, networking, and most energetic uh, uh, cooperation. And <clears throat> we are forecasting that by the year 2030, uh, the uh, longevity scale velocity will be achieved. But I think that uh, uh, intensive uh, enhancement of intensive synergetic uh, collaboration within the ecosystem, it is quite crucial uh, to ensure that the escape velocity will be indeed achieved by 2030. Thank you for your attention. Thanks so much for that, uh, Dimitri. Now we're running short on time, um, although I suppose that serves as, as a fair metaphor for the very problem that we're all uh, trying to combat. So perhaps that's fitting enough, um, but I think it, it uh, would be reasonable to have uh, a short panel discussion. Um, for any speakers that uh, are still able or, or willing to join us in that, um, you know, please feel free to jump in, uh, turn on your, your mics and your uh, videos. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll have a, maybe a, a 10 or 15 minute discussion. Um, I think it makes sense to uh, start with a question to, to all attendees. Um, it goes without saying that a greater degree of uh, resource optimization and synergetic collaboration uh, within the longevity industry ecosystem, uh, both from an academic or an industry standpoint, um, would, would do some good in terms of accelerating the actual, uh, you know, socioeconomic dividends that, that we're all fighting for. Uh, I'm wondering uh, what our various panelists consider to be uh, among the largest bottlenecks for uh, a greater degree of uh, collaboration among industry stakeholders and participants. So if anybody has, has thoughts on that matter, feel free to jump in. Uh, I, I would like to just say that there is a divide between the aging community and the longevity community. And I think that's one of the issues. Uh, the biggest voices, and that's not just true in the US, are uh, gerontologists, social workers, uh, people who are policymakers, nonprofits that are there to support the disabled aging. And what I mean, what I mean by that is almost everybody over the age of 65 is looked at as a patient or in need or having entitlement issues, food insecurity. These are very, very important things, but they have created an ecosystem of their own that does not look at aging as something that can be intervened in, but is inevitable and all of their money and all of their thinking and their leadership is toward making it easier to take on and live with these comorbidities one way or another. And we really haven't made that coalition. Uh, we've made a big coalition between different kinds of geroscience and the medical professions, even policymakers and insurance and payers but not between the longevity community and the aging community. They have not met. And, uh, and unless we're really going to change people's ideas about what's important with regard to aging into the ability to intervene in it, we're gonna need that coalition. At least that's here in the US. But I've been seeing it also in my work with the United Nations, that it, it, they have a mission uh, that sounds exactly like ours, 
about equality in health span. That's what they call it, the moonshot, so do we, of health span equality. But we're ta- what they're talking about is older people in great need and how to meet their needs, not intervention in increased health span and healthy aging for all. So if we can get that message out, we can meet those people. We're making a very big difference that I think is missing. So that, that's what I think is one of the challenges, aging versus longevity or health span. Yep, you know, I, I couldn't agree more, Adrian. Uh, we're big believers, um, I, I, I assume broadly, but certainly at Aging Analytics Agency of the, of the power um, of, of an actionable definition uh, and the fact that defining the issue um, and, and framing it in the proper way uh, to allow for um, you know, actionable progress towards a, a given goal is, is very important. I know that Catalyst and Connexum um, <clears throat> believe that very much uh, as well. Um, you know, with your Metabesity conference, uh, Zan having, having coined the term Metabesity, as well as your 12 challenges um, uh, framework. So yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Both with that, the, the power of the definition and the need to transition from you know, let's call it age-friendly to longevity-friendly, um, indeed. Anybody else have any thoughts on uh, the matter of bottlenecks? Ilya? Yes, thank you. I think uh, what we need is more internationalization. Uh, the longevity field is still largely US-centric. Uh, we need to, to access uh, vast amounts of talent uh, that is not accessed in, in other places and not necessarily in the so-called West or developed countries, but also the developing low-income countries. Uh, also, in terms of uh, basic education, we need more materials in native languages and not except uh, apart from English. In addition to English, uh, we need to, to involve more people from Latin America, from Africa, from uh, from Southeast Asia. Uh, this way, we can really grow the community, the, the field, and to cre- achieve more synergy. Uh, that's also what the ILA uh, works towards. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I would assume that uh, Ian Ingster would, would, uh, would second that, given that you know, international is, is, is half the name of, uh, of the platform. Jose, uh, did you have something to add? Yes, of course. I totally agree. As I mentioned, Spanish has more native speakers than English. And um, I also try to emphasize that we have great scientists in Spain. And um, not only in Spain, in, um, in the USA, Spanish in the USA and Mexicans and Argentinians and Brazilians. So this has to be a global communi- community. And one thing that I miss here is no one from China. And China is doing incredible research on anti-aging. Actually, the government of China is publishing my book in China, the government of China, because they are going through a demographic implosion. China is worried that they will lose 700 million people, twice the US population by the end of the century. This has never happened in history. Losing 700 million people, half of the Chinese population will disappear if the trend continues. So they have an aggressive uh, program to have more people or or to not let people die anymore. And they are publishing my book. I'm really excited, but no one from China here. How can China not be connected here? At least we have people from Brazil. I'm from Spain and Latin America, Um, but but we need China, we need India. Yes, it's true. And uh, speaking more broadly, uh, we're aware of of lots of things that are going on in in Asia, you know, um, as as a continent. and, and you're right, it, it definitely needs a little bit more representation. Um, I, I believe that a half year ago, Agent Clinics Agency actually produced mm-hmm. a Longevity Nations special case study. 
Yes, yes, we did. And that's uh, open access available for all uh, interested readers, attendees, etc. cetera, uh, at AJ. And, uh, uh, was China also included there? It was, yes. Uh -huh. Okay, excellent. So, uh, Ian, I hope that uh, indeed, according to recommendation of Jose, uh, uh, you will ensure that next time uh, on a similar meeting, there will be people from India, from China. I, I think, uh, you know, there are also apparently should be Japan, South Korea, uh, Singapore, you know, uh, countries. Uh, Hong Kong is the country with highest life expectancy. Singapore, the country with uh, highest health life expectancy. So uh, those two particular smart cities, dash uh, countries, they should be apparently represented here. And uh, by, by the way, regarding uh, uh, technology which agent colleagues is using, because uh, the AI system which is aggregating this information about uh, several tens of thousands of, uh, of uh, companies uh, and investors and organizations, so it's uh, yet uh, f uh, using English uh, English language for parsing, uh, whereas on the next stage they will start to use uh, probably Chinese and Japanese. And uh, that will give you know uh, capabilities to aggregate more information from from those countries. In, in information about uh, in the sense that uh, you know industry players, industry stakeholders, companies, uh, different uh, scientists, and so on, so so forth. Yes, thank you, Dimitri. And I know that a big um, driving factor that unites a lot of your thoughts on different topics is is the power of maximally modern technologies to. Um, facilitate progress and the fact that certain stakeholders, areas, different silos of the industry ecosystem are, uh, let's say, um, outdated and not using the full suite of modern technologies that they actually could be, um, you know, repurposed from, from different sectors, et cetera. So a great yeah. talking point indeed. And, and, and I think that uh, the mission, and I would say even the motto of this organization, Rosalind International, is to ensure that uh, knowledge and the information are distributed really internationally and even uh, not uh, like, uh, you know, in a fair way, uh, as Ilya standard suggested, also uh, towards developing countries. Because uh, you know that uh, it's quite complex to extend healthy period of life, for, for example, all people in the United States, because it will require enormous budgets and efforts, but uh, we both, we really are from Moldova, and in Moldova, it's the poorest country in, in Europe, and uh, with uh, lost, uh, lost uh, life expectancy, even more. After break of USSR, the life expectancy, it's probably the only one country in the world where life expectancy actually decreased. So we, this is like absolutely, you know, uh, unthinkable in, in modern days. But my point is that uh, for such countries as Moldova, smaller, poorer countries, it's quite simple to actually extend healthy period of life for people because uh, it do not require any kind of, uh, you know, with just a small budget or small efforts, uh, applying some modern technologies for, let's say, diagnostic of simple, uh, simple pathologies. So you, you can actually provide significant positive impact in the sense that in uh, underdeveloped countries with, uh, you know, just a small quantity of uh, resources, you can do quite a lot. Whereas for such countries as UK or Japan, the United States, uh, to, to, to make uh, impact on, you know, national scale, the resources uh, which are required, they're they kind of enormous. 
Yes, and I, I suppose that constitutes the uh, inherent um, advantage for small countries, microstates, et cetera, in terms of longevity policy execution, which is something that I know you touch upon um, in your other forthcoming book, Longevity Politics. Um, yeah, well said. Robert, did you want to add something? Uh, yes, I did. Uh, in fact, I just wanted to say uh, basically uh, two things. I think that there needs to be a, a greater connection of, of funding uh, with, with vision and, and breakthroughs. And I'm gonna say this, uh, you know, the Gerontology uh, Research Group website, we founded it in 1995 with Dr. L. Stephen Coles. It's way past time, you know, we need some funding for this to upgrade. Uh, you know, I think a more inspirational uh, updated uh, website that would show, you know, interactive graphics such as the world global scale of super centenarians, a continent scale, and then a national scale, and then a data down to, to, to the local level. And uh, secondly, there's been major, major, major breakthroughs in the super centenarian research field that have not been followed up on. When I, for example, the 115 year old woman study that came out in 2014 in the Netherlands, there's been no follow up on that. So this woman uh, had almost no stem cell lines active at age 115. What's the problem there? We can't really say with just one study of one person if, if that's applicable across a large scale, but this could be a major, major breakthrough if we can get follow-up studies done. Also the amyloidosis study with Dr. Coles was done in you know, 2012, nine years, no follow-up. This was a major, major, major breakthrough, and yet there's been no follow-up in nine years. So these two areas, nine years and seven years, no major follow-ups. I think that if we have a better graphic display and, and more more funding for our, our work, that maybe it'll attract more attention and there'll be more notice on that. And I do believe that we can, you know, when we saw that study that came out that showed that the functional Maximum human lifespan should be at least 135, even if you don't defeat aging. Think about that. We still have another, you know, 10, 15 years to add uh, with with uh, with curing non-aging. But I agree with others uh, that when we have the big breakthrough with with aging, you know, the Methuselah Mouse Project in 2003 offered a prize for the first must musculus to reach age five. Guess what? It has still not happened. I think the record was 4.98 years. It's been 18 years. No one has been able to get muscle muscular stage five. Uh, this is something, and you know, some of the people in the gerontology research group were telling me that one of the reasons it hasn't happened is that there wasn't funding uh, for follow-up for the, for the mouse life extension efforts. So that's just another area where people had great ideas and vision. Uh, where's the funding? Where's the follow-up studies? Thank you, Robert. Um, the hourglass is uh, getting a bit thinner, but um, for, for those that haven't jumped in yet, Johnny, Chris, uh, Thomas, San, Joseph, Milan, Alexander, Leila, um, any, any particular thoughts in terms of critical bottlenecks uh, for more synergetic, uh, actionable collaboration? I just want to give you a quick uh, hint. Uh, in terms of Dimitri's and everybody's, Ilya's uh, suggestion that this information gets to smaller countries. At the UN, it's Argentina that is the major player when it comes to issues of aging and policy in the United Nations. Now, they get their information to many smaller countries, African nations, um, Indo nations, and so on. So if we can, and it's easy, I, I've been to Argentina, I met with the Minister of Aging, brand new elect, 
um, very open, looking for information. So if you want to get them on board, they then become the filter. They're not a small nation, Argentina, but they, they get the filter to all the small nations through the United Nations um, system and the NGOs on aging. So that's just a practical suggestion. Well, thank you, Adrian. Yeah, that's a great practical suggestion and also representative of the fact that, um, you know, uh, effective strategy needs to work within the, the tiers, the filters and the existing systems that we have, um, you know, to work. Uh, playing to the strengths of the existing, let's call it uh, policy infrastructure that's, that's already in place. Um, Thomas, I see you've uh, unmuted yourself. Is there something you wanted to add? Well, I didn't want to pat ourselves on the back, but it's kind of a Panglossian comment that when you have a platform and a forum like this, then many new things become possible or occur to folks. So I think that we all met people with interesting comments that were made in the chat room and so forth. So our ability to further the make, make more synaptic connections, shall we say, is going to help with uh, uh, the collaborations. And one of the potential limiting aspects before uh, was the fact that we didn't know each other and we still don't, but we're doing our part to try to uh, weave together a network of what we can, what I consider to be uh, co-members in the Healthy Longevity Tribe. We're, we're, on, we're on a movement, a mission, and the ability to see each other face to face and see uh, exchange ideas, I think uh, will go a long way toward uh, addressing some of those bottlenecks in the past, not to say there aren't other bottlenecks to be overcome, but just wanted to give a shout out for this kind of an initiative. Yeah, well, thank, thank you, Thomas. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And, uh, you know, the, the raw power of, of connections and, and collaborations. And hey, you know what, I consider some of the strongest friendships that, that I have to this day uh, made through, you know, uh, efforts within within this fight that, that we're all involved in, which is, uh, you know, uh, uh, transforming the challenge of aging into the opportunity of longevity. So we can have fun along the way as well. Um, we, we probably have time for just one more. Um, oh, Leila, you want to add something? Uh, first, this is an amazing forum and I agree. I think we'll do so many things together. And actually my suggestion is that maybe in this network, we can uh, not only um, present what we did, but what we are doing or we wish we were doing. So this is an amazing way uh, that we can connect and maybe help each other because yeah, the longevity is a new topic around the world. So we, we will only may make a, a change together. Thank you, Leila. Uh, very, very well said. And I suppose it's worth mentioning very briefly uh, and Ian Inkster can uh, reiterate this. Uh, that the, the scope of actual networking tools um, uh, that's, that's present on the platform is planned to be uh, expanded significantly uh, over the coming months um, to uh, achieve at, at least an, an equal um, scope of functionality and comprehensivity as the uh, informational or analytical resources that are, are present there. Um, I think that that about uh, uh, covers it. I, I, I wish we had more time um, to have an extended panel discussion, especially with so many uh, great thought leaders uh, in the room. Um, but it was it was great fun um, and very enjoyable having you all here. Um, and I'd like to thank you once again for participating, uh, both as speakers and uh, you know as representatives of of your various institutions for coming on board uh, to support this platform's mission. Um, it's it's very much appreciated. Um, Ian, do you want to 
Um, yes, um, I, I'd like to offer thanks to all our uh, institutional co-founders, um, including those that couldn't make it for helping us to launch what we hope will um, be an, an acceleration hub of uh, industry knowledge and networking and collaboration and um, for joining us in uh, the mission to provide actionable tools and resources and technologies to um, improve cooperation within the industry and accelerate the delivery of the dividends, this, the humanitarian and the socioeconomic dividends which we've, which we've worked so hard um, to make possible. Well, Freddie, and also a final thank you to all of our attendees. Um, you know, uh, not, none of this is possible without uh, without you. So thank you so much for joining us today. Um, this uh, event is being recorded, and the full suite of conference uh, talks um, will be available uh, as recordings for post viewing um, in the coming days. I will uh, ensure that uh, those are distributed among all of the uh, attendees and, and registrants uh, of today in due course. Uh, and also a, a quick reminder that uh, Aging Analytics Agency is hosting a, a virtual uh, conference on the topic of biomarkers of aging and longevity next Wednesday, uh, starting at 5 p.m. BST. Um, everyone who attended today is very encouraged to, to join us there. Um, and further details in terms of the agenda, link to join, et cetera, uh, will be distributed um, amongst today's registrants uh, and available uh, on the Aging Analytics website in a day or two. Um, Ian, uh, anything else? Um, oh yeah, um, uh, just a reminder, um, everyone who tuned in, um, um, in order to subscribe to further events and updates and announcements, uh, visit the www.longevity.international and um, click the login button at the top right of the homepage and uh, register a, a free profile on the platform and that will give you access to the full scope of the platform's resources and networking tools which which are going to be expanded. Um, there's just a second. Well thank you uh, once again one and all for joining us today and uh, we very much hope to see you again soon. Thank you, thank you for the organization, great event, great initiative, thanks. Live long and prosper my friends. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.